Thanks for tuning in to Revolutionary Lumpen Radio. In this episode, we feature Comrade Emily to discuss disability and Marxism too. Untouched as a topic, imaginaries and movement. Berserk as a eugenicide in this real class struggle of lives taking place in the Imperial Court today. So obviously, naturally, we had to cover this in detail and total solidarity for this class of Lumpen Pros that share the similar ostracization as the other substratas of the Lumpen. This episode is so important, so resourceful, that consequently we will return every six months to analyse the progress of the so-called left to determine if they have taken any steps whatsoever for solidarity and inclusivity to fight against the oppression of the disabled. History is not going to absolve you if you fail to listen, share and act on this topic. It does appear that besides us Lumpen Vanguard, nobody but the disabled themselves are crying out for help, for support and recognition as human beings and not just costly accidental deformations of DNA in this mode of civilization that arouses itself by the breaking of people into reactionary pigs and defeatist sheep alike by only determining their worth via the, their economic productivity that can be extracted from them as surplus labour value for the wage slaves capitalist pimps. From a Marxist perspective a distinction must exist between impairment and disability while accepting the existence of impairment as a biological reality and not denying the role of socio-cultural determinants to operate at the superstructural level. It is important to recognise that the single most significant determinant of disability is the organisation of the mode of production based upon the maximisation of profit. So in this episode we heighten this contradiction by force declaring and denouncing the able-bodied supremacy over the disabled and impaired as comrade Emily intellectually, emotionally invests in our education from her traumatic experiences and the oppression of both her and her friends lost. So in this episode we start off with the usual background checks then discuss a very fascinating month-long visit when comrade Emily went to live with an African tribe We talk about how this shaped Emily's entire perspective on life, love and community in relation to the rancid reformist reality back at home in Scotland. So we discussed the NHS, healthcare, neurodivergency, disability politics, history and then go on to being disabled and then go on to being a disabled, impaired comrade organiser and activist as well as the relations of the organisations to those impaired comrades how they do or do not support as well as how they can support the non-able-bodied, ripe for wage slavery people in the interest of revolution against capitalism we go on to hear how we can all do more how we can be more inclusive and supportive, which is what we're here for. That's why you can hear my voice now and why you're listening now, because we want to unite the proletariat. We want to better ourselves and thus our environment, society. We actually need to.
none of you are listening for the good of your health we appreciate that your mental health might suffer from this to tell you the truth but i also hope that none of you are also listening just to be in the know-how on the latest trend of marxism to prove that you're cool no i mean we're here now because this is the apex of synthesis right now currently and you will not find this history and these visions from anywhere else and if you do you will find it as more as an intellectual exercise of opportunism like the way recently many flaccid left-wing class-traded organizations like post all over the fucking social media saying we stand with the neurodivergent while taking absolutely no fucking steps whatsoever to do anything for them this is less than lip service it's posting shit online for likes so if you see that shit ask them what they're actually doing materially on the ground to support them or to actually change and and empower them rather than just fucking saying that they support them for fucking likes these motherfucking all these opportunist fucking organizations countries are fucking shit show so again this episode might damage your mental health you've probably got a taste of that already but genuinely i'm being serious i do hope that you suffer shell shock for some time off this episode indeed i do hope that the trauma of our comrades is transferred from their neurons to yours so that you sincerely physically need to do more for them in order to feel good about your goddamn self because these are fucking traumatized tortured even reaching out to emily here over twitter for example or email or through me is like massively hugely significant and beneficial for their mental health so if you find this insightful or useful or you just want to support a goddamn comrade who have been ostracized and aren't getting the support that is needed definitely please i'm begging you go out and speak to emily just say yeah i listen to it oh my god you know this and that just share your thoughts with it it's so important feedback honest to god you can't underappreciate feedback you can't underappreciate the power of feedback to empower our comrades more so every single one of our traumatic experiences that we've all suffered under capitalism has to mean something we must turn it into a revolutionary tool or we're literally suffering for nothing we have to share learn and support each other through our struggle indeed you must struggle or you are complicit parasite to the global south and invite the wall in the future if i have anything to say about it at least the final note is i want to clarify that all three of us on this pod talking your co-host and comrades the zen marxist ryan and myself shibby with our guest emily we all stutter we stammer we say um and we get words mixed up so do all the other motherfuckers on other podcasts that you listen to like so like the reason i say this though is to remind you that this pod has been highly edited for easy listening same as other podcasts that you probably listen to bear that in mind and do not think that you are any less than any of us in eloquence no we're just simply normal people who are discussing extremely difficult and largely unspoken topics as you might in the future so i want to stress that just so you don't think that like you're not as good as a speaker of any of us because it's just likely just not true whatsoever i also did leave in emily's ticks in solidarity with those who do have ticks or tourettes because it is what it is and i'm not capitalism 
I just don't discriminate or exclude based on what I consider normal. What is normal? Normal is just putrid, detestable, parasitic abomination from what was once a majestic, godly homo sapiens that was humanity for most of our history. And we've got no goddamn humanity. All we are little conniving little worm maggots fucking scurrying around for fucking for some coins. So if you want to support us in our lofty yet necessary goals, please support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash lumpenpodcast where you can get bonus content. We give you the chance to ask our future guest questions as well as know that your monetary support, unlike nearly all the other so-called socialist patrons out there, actually goes to feeding hungry people in my community as I base build dual power in my local estate as a political strategy rather than just say, help me pay my bills. You know, all these other motherfucking fools out there who are just bums. You can follow us for pictures and updates on the community organising by following us on Twitter at lumpen underscore radio or my Instagram is at Shibby's IG. Also support us and the disability movement by buying a disability and Marxism t-shirt in the show notes and we'll donate £2 of each purchase to a revolutionary disability movement. Without further ado, that's the introduction. We bring you disability and Marxism to feet, Emily. So what we're doing today is we're doing disability and Marxism episode two. We previously done the first episode, but you've probably seen them do and other works on YouTube. Today we're just doing a code an episode on a Discord server. Anybody can join a Discord server. It's the official subreddit Discord server and also the official Discord server for Revolutionary Lumpen Radio podcast. So if you want to get on and ask our guests questions, we have all kinds of different guests. We have authors, academics, we have general Lumpen proles, just normal motherfucking people. We have educators, agitators as well. I mean, just an array of different people. If you ever want to get on, ask them questions yourself then you need to hit us up on Patreon as a Patreon supporter. There's that picture of what I want as my base in Liverpool because that's a, a goal to base build and actually have enough money to fucking have communist flags flying in city centres across the, all of the UK. The US aren't going to do it because, let's just face it, they're too scared of getting smoke like Fred Hampton. Mm. I was also going to ask, like, are we going to keep any ticks in rather than like because I had issues in other places sometimes of freaking ticks? I mean, that that's it. When I was editing last time, I did intentionally leave some of them in because I wanted, I, I almost felt like it would be wrong of me to remove them in a sense because that's so much of who you are in your essence. And I, and I didn't want to release the episode without any ticks. And then you just be like, oh, I, what's what the fuck's. You, you yeah, know, wrong with, wrong with me. You know what I mean? When there's nothing yeah. wrong with you whatsoever. And also, I wanted to do it as like a form of solidarity for those, you know, with ticks or, you know, yeah. Tourette's, um, so that they didn't, so that they, they had like a voice to, to listen to. But I'm I'm obviously willing to, to listen to what you want and, and how you want that. No, to no, work. it's just that, you know, people get scared of like this and that, and we can go into that. But um, you're going to start the the show because I'm kind of um but yeah I just I would I'm sure maybe should that should have said that in the pre-recording but yeah it's just one of those things where I've had experiences I can go into that at some point of like getting censored and stuff for my threats um 
Um, I mean, I don't mind it if I'm like, if I get to the mic off and I'm like ticking away in the background. Um, but if I'm talking and I'm ticking, that's that's my line. But um, do you want to kind of get the ball rolling? For oh, sure. Yep. Okay, cool. Blankers. <sighs> Thanks again for tuning in to Revolutionary Lumpen Radio. In this episode, we're humbled to have Emily back to continue on a series in disability and Marxism. We're going to be talking about disability in general, trying to get a more of an insight. We're going to look on how that affects the political social sphere, and we're also going to look at how disability in general is seen within Marxist circles. To have that, you know, really deep analysis as to how we can improve as materialists. So, Emily, let's just get into it now with our usual background questions. So, this is one of our favorite parts of the show to get to know our guests, and it really helps inform us into, you know, the rest of your answers. So, can you just tell us about your background? Yeah, hopefully, I won't be here all day because I've I've been. Uh politically engaged, shall we say, since the age of 16, and I'm going to be 29 in a couple of weeks, so that's quite a, a lot to cover. I'm Emily, um, I am a disability liberationist, none of that, you know, disabled rights, bourgeois, malarkey, revolutionary. I got started in politics, should I go to my background, or just kind of go into how to get into politics as well, like, kind of both. Basically, basically what happened was that in about 2015, 14, 15, there was a the whole stuff of Glen Eagles and the GA, and then also Make Poverty History. And then I got alienated from that. And then what happened was that I kind of wanted to know what the fuck happened with the 2008 financial crash, because I was about 15 at the time. And I'm like, well, what do you, you know? And then. Um, obviously, obviously, of course, I was nine when the 9-11 happened as well and the war on terror. So I grew up in the war on terror. Then got internet and it kind of was a wee bit all over the place with documentaries and the emerging kind of conspiracy culture. So like loose change and and stuff like that. Then my friend Pat, who my dad knows, came back from Africa and got talking and then they mentioned the Zitcase films. I watched them and that made me go down the path to being a Zitcase movement, which I'm still am in which is a economic and social sustainability movement. So um, it's basically trying to get to a common society, what we, we would call a common society, but coloured in rather than being vague. So they've got three major pillars, which is ecology, social and public health, and resource management, you know, and machine government rather than humans, but under the control of human beings and a whole host of other things economically so i'll be doing stalls and people will be like oh you fucking call me and all the rest of it at me and basically the all that happened in terms of meeting people that were actually hardcore communists we had people that were part of the um world socialist party we had people coming along and hearing from communists what communism is and how actually they see it as like really a really good idea of like it colored in and and all we would discuss is a transition, like how to get the revolution going, the transition going, technically, socially, you name it. Not debates, but discussions, and people going, you know what, there's there's more in common than we have differences, and talking about sustainability principles and and a more kind of technical aspect, aspects of it. But I, I felt there was a whole missing in terms of 
like a uh, fuck, like a social conscience, and also being in the socialist slash you know economic areas and things like that of of people that are communities of convenience. And then in 2009, I got diagnosed at the age of 17 with Asperger syndrome, and that then started my dive into neurodiversity. And this is this is where my personal experiences of social and economic issues personally and, and schooling and everything else and really dovetailed into my political work. And then sadly, due to personal issues, I was dipping in and out with personal issues in terms of family and other issues, my sexuality and stuff like that, and kind of having time off to do that. But then basically in 2014, 15, really getting involved in proper disability politics with austerity, with um, the Lib Dem government, and then when my Tourette's became prominent in the late 2017, 2018, that's when I became a proper, I would say like a revolutionary disabled activist and kind of getting exposed to revolutionary ideas. So this is where like getting a political consensus of me as a person in the loiter revolution and also reasons for revolution. I'm reading books like A Very Capitalist Condition and other radical disabled groups because I was experiencing for the first time not just like underhanded sleight of hand disabilism slash ableism but actually in your face like proper hardcore hate crimes and discrimination which I had experiences of a child when I was quote unquote visibly autistic quote unquote. So that radicalised me, and then obviously joining disabled organisations like uh, Glasgow Disability Alliance, DPAC, Black Triangle, but then getting politically alienated, which we can talk about later in the show, about communists on the left ignoring disabled people and basically leave them to rot or use them as um, as cudgels to hit over dis- um, the Tory party, over the cuts of benefits more or less, and then leaving it out there. That process of alienation may be more and more radical, and I can go into that later on as well in the show, of being alienated by society, being kicked out of places, being excluded, seeing that my issues basically don't matter when they're talking about other issues, like social issues, political issues. But my issues of seeing it firsthand of friends and colleagues and friends, more cynicals of COVID, kind of neglected and ignored, and that kind of maybe the point was like, you know, this is my calling. Like, you know, if, if we don't include disabled people and people that are drug addicts and are lumping, basically. There is not going to be any revolution. It's going to be a revolution for a certain cast of people, people that are non-disabled, white, you name it, or even if they are black or of different ethnicities, it's going to be a certain strata and we are going to be seen as like disposable and basically either kill us or have eugenics or euthanasia and all this nasty shit to erase us and to make the perfect world utopian future. So that's what I'm kind of at the moment I'm kind of um, standing up instead of defending other people and begging and pleading other organisations I am in the process of making my own organisations and my own protests and my own vigils on disabled people and basically starting the spark of the disabled uprising basically against the conditions and that's basically where I'm at. So, yeah. It's also important to realize that, like, you essentially were radicalized by your life, right? Like, you you understood your position within society as an inherently political one, right? Like, yeah. I get yes. the feeling that some people come to 
you know, theory as a sort of purely intellectual exercise or something that's sort of detached from the real world, you know, but the reality of the situation is that like, you know, as materialists, you should understand that your material condition within society, you know, shapes your thoughts and opinions and feelings. So it's, it's not a surprise at all, you know, that someone in your position would, you know, look around at the world and correctly identify that this world just isn't for me it doesn't benefit for me it's not built for me to thrive in right yeah yeah and, and i'm also going to say ryan that because i had a, a good political education i mean a really good thorough you know social sciences public health i already had because of the the zeitgeist movement which is a good movement it just has some particular problems but it, it in terms of some moral values and some values in terms of revolutionary spirit but the whole gist of actually having really good scientific data to back up our claims rather than we're oh, just going to claim we're going to just going to talk about Marx and Engels fucking for, for forever um having real hard science and then shifting that or pivoting to the social model and then I'm going to talk about the relational model of, of labor later on as well made it so that I could in my mind because my brain works I can then like you know not collide but kind of synthesize the, that data into like right this is how to see people are oppressed, this is how these marginalised people are oppressed economically, socially, all the strands of oppression and death and destruction and, and where it or- originates from, rather than being, oh, we need more rights because we deserve to be like everyone else. It's like, well, actually, everyone else is pretty fucked as well. <laughs> so so it's that having that base helped me a lot, you know, talking about, like, you know, the spirit level by Kate Bennett and Dale Wilkinson, all the way through to... Uh, Gabe Monte talking about mental health and actually that actually helped a couple of family members um, not to be to go, go much on a tangent but um of social issues and political issues and childhood issues by alienated parents and, and a whole bunch of other media family issues related to the material conditions of capitalism really set had a really good foundation to then jumping into Marxism and Marxist thought, like hardcore Marxist thought, because I was kind of skirting around it for years until I, I took the jump like a couple of years ago. So I had a good foundation of real hard scientific data that's adjacent to Marxism rather than like, and that's why I, 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 I'm still finding it difficult. It's like, are you just quoting Marx all the time or Engels or Lenin? Where's the hard science? Where's the hard... I've got the science here. So it became a backing of this is why I believe what I believe. Here's the books. Here's the sources. Here's the scientific evidence why we need socialism. A scientific case for socialism or communism rather than a moral one or an ethical one. And then shifting that to, well, disabled people and actual people that need socialism to survive, period. I just want to kind of explain that, that that's one of my problems about you know that's one of the things that I'm kind of helped a lot in terms of my ideas about myself and where I am and my, my politics as a, as a disabled comrade having all that experience of and knowledge understandings before jumping in like helped me so much and I think people kind of underestimate that level reading and research and self-education rather than just oh have you read capital have you read Marx I'm like yeah but Mm. You know, so I, I mean, yeah, there's there's a lot there. I've got a feeling I'm not going to be able to respond to everything that I want to because of how much is going to be covered. <laughs> Again, like we do have a community on Discord. All of the comrades who you hear on a podcast are there. So if you personally want to ask any other guests or even us as co-hosts any questions to you know engage in these questions further, absolutely do that. You'll find everything where to locate us in the show notes. But something that 
I do want to respond to is both Brian's and your synthesis on the situation in the sense that it was your experience, your life, the radicalized shed that shown you the way for progress and a better society for everybody. And also the project of Revolutionary Lumpen Radio is to highlight the plight of the Lumpen proletariat, the most oppressed class, and disabled people are definitely unquestionably a part of that. The point I want to get at is this is the vanguard. This is why I say Lumpen are the vanguard, because whilst everybody else, all these other Marxists, a majority of other Marxists, when they have to learn about the world, when they learn about all of these experiences, as you said, these people are reading Marx, reading Lenin and just throwing quotes out because they don't have the life experience in order to progress. You're the one suffering. You, you're the one who is forced to say, no, this is wrong. Like in the speech which you made, you're talking about, you know, the Scottish government forcing courts to no longer accept people with disabilities or maybe specifically autists or, or something. Yeah, 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 the own witnesses. It, it, it did get kind of overturned, but it still happens to this very day. And you still have to go for a legal process. All it, does, all it does is have like a legal process to fight back if that happens. It doesn't actually outlaw it personally. What she'll be talking about is I did a speech where I talked about the Women's March and I talked about how women actually, the mental health, with mental health issues autism and learning difficulties where actually if had any crime whatsoever including sexual crimes they would get to the court and then the judge would actually actually throw out the case because and they couldn't testify in their own court case because they were quote-unquote an unreliable witness and could not as actual quote quote-unquote verify the um accuracy of the statements by someone so and and, and the, the competency of the witness therefore they you have to deem them as an unreliable witness insane so uh, yes so the synthesis that we've made is that marx lenin mao it doesn't matter who it is in historical marxist text they don't tell you what you've just told us because history is always marching and unquestionably as george jackson said history is continuously gonna uh, push new struggles new new movements and this is the movement that's happening today this is the movement that people need to get side by side with the academics can sit back and then talk about the disabled plight all they want but uh, the revolutionaries need to be with them they need to be helping them move forward as the forefront of the most oppressed class that's why we're doing this here because marxism's fucking slacking and it unquestionably has because so much of this shit's still going on the disabled as you've heard from scottish courts you know no resuscitation orders in the uk this is continuously happening almost unflinchingly from so-called marxists this is not scientific theory it's also like one of the things that has in common with then buddhism right which is why i'm a zen buddhist because like there's a ton of other religions who just essentially say like all you need to do is read the book and believe in, you know, everything will fit, be fixed, right? But, like, Zen Buddhism is fundamentally places the, exper- the experience as the crucial thing, right? Because you can read books on anything in the world, right? But until you experience it, you don't actually have first-hand thing. And I guess this is kind of a failing of language because language is just fundamentally, like, not sufficient to actually explain something to someone. Like, if you take any experience, like being drunk, okay? Now, if you wrote a book on that and then gave it to someone who's never drunk alcohol, right, they might have some kind of, like, intellectual understanding, but they don't know, right? They haven't experienced it. Yeah, it's the same as people who they're like, 
you, you know, when when you're stoned, you're gonna be like, "Whoa, what's all?" That? And you, you clearly have never <laughs> smoked a joint in the life. Right? Do you know what I'm saying? You you bite though. Mouse says, "You know, on practice, you don't know how the pear tastes until you bite into it." That's exactly what Ben. Yeah, exactly the same as Ben Buddhism. The pear has to change for you to gain that knowledge because you've took a bite out of it and you also have to change because you've got the bite and you, you now have these new lessons within us. So I think there are many of the problems why people are so scared to confront the disabled plight and the lumpen plight is because it just absolutely annihilates everything they know as practice. But, yeah. you know, we're pushing forward here. I mean, that's, I was going to say, that's like almost exactly the same like example that I was given as well. Like I was listening to this like, you know, Zen monk or whatever. And he was talking about the difference between like Zen Buddhism and the other two main, you know, Theravada and um, Mahayana, right? And he was saying that like, he, he was talking about a watermelon. He said, you know, one of these sects, if you ask them to describe a watermelon, they'll talk to you about the life cycle when it grows up and it becomes a seed. And then you plant the seed, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, Zen Buddhism is this. If you want to know what a watermelon is, here's a watermelon, right? Bite it, right? So mm. I think this is sort of, this for me is how, yeah. you know, sort of Zen Buddhism and Marxism come together because they fundamentally place the experience above everything else, right? You can, again, I'm just going to end up repeating myself, but you can write books on anything you want, but until it's happened to you, it doesn't, it's not real to you, right? It's an intellectual exercise. It's not a life. It's not an experience. Indeed. I was going to say that the problem you actually got is that too many people intellectualize these problems rather than emotionalize them and actually internalize yeah. them. People get emotional about like a celebrity dying and and that all that kind of crap, but they find it hard to actually emotionally connect with people. It's actually it's not even empathy; it's it's humanity. And I'm a I'm a Wiccan, so I don't have any books in my practice. Is basically you versus the goddess in the world, right? And so, there's so many things that people experience in the mundane, which is a term people that you know are pagans and magic and druids and if I talk about which this there's this world and then there's the other world of of other forces and things. And um people even here do not even are aware of like for example, are you aware of you sitting in your seat? Well maybe you are, Ryan, because you're a Zen Buddhist and <laughs> you know, like with mindfulness and shit. But it's that kind of thing of there's things in the environment that get normalized. Oh, for sure. And I feel that that actually we can go into that, that what actually it is, and I'm going to be very distinct and very blunt, is that they can't cope with the idea that disabled people or lumping people suffering is actually a choice, a political social choice, yeah. not of iron law of nature. And then they displace that rage or anger upset at me, the victim blame and all the rest of it, because they emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, if you will, can't deal with what I'm saying and what we are saying. So they deflect, they get angry, they get upset, they, they say you're deviating from the teachings of Marx, they say that you're, you know, it's not really important why you're talking about that, because unlike every other group, Disabled people question the rules of work, the rules of um, the fragility of the human, of the, of the body body minds. Body and mind are one thing. There's no such thing as separation. Fuck you, Descartes. And also the, the value we put on human bodies and normality and all these value systems we absorbed. So therefore, it's just easier to expunge them. It's easier to forget about them. So like that's basically why. And that's what I kind of fight. 
Just before I move on to another question, I just want to say that I agree to an extent on the aspect of it being a choice for the Lumpen people's oppression because it's certainly a choice. Yeah, of course, you, you mean a political choice because the ruling class people are making that choice as individuals to pass this through legislation, but it's not a choice for capitalism. Yeah. For imperialism, it's an economic yes. necessity. Yes. It's a necessity yes. to repress those yes. who don't have the capability to be wage slaves for the large part. And so this is the same thing and some of these, you know, naive views that people had and, and that liberals had and even extends into Marxist circles, which we're going to go on as we discuss healthcare. But this idea that like disabled people are a, a drain on the economy or a drain on benefits or, or anything else you know it's really just fucking absurd yeah just one what i wanted to throw in there i mean if you wanted to we could even like touch briefly on like you know the body mind problem you know that emily briefly touched on so like i've heard people say things like marx isn't a philosopher right and they just like that's clearly someone who doesn't understand Marx or hasn't read them or at least understood the ideas. Because you can understand the ideas without reading Marx, I guess. But the thing in the West was like this huge, you know, the body-mind problem, right? The separation between body and mind. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm not onto it, Ryan. I've never heard of that motherfucking thing. You're going to have to clarify. That's okay. Like the, the body-mind problem um, is, I mean, it's a, it's a solely Western construct, right? It's the idea that like... Your mind is different yeah. from your body, essentially. That like these are these are two distinct things. And um, again, this is another problem that Buddhism and Marxism have come to the same correct conclusion on, right? Because it's again within Zen Buddhism that says no, there's no distinction here, right? No differenceness, no distinction, just yes. one, right? You know, and Marx is and Marx like literally like materially proved that essentially, you know, because if you understand you know materialism, you understand that your mind is the product of your surroundings, which is in part your body yes. right and also you know the other material conditions in society around you no doubt but i mean it's it's literally like you know zen buddhism came to this conclusion like you know whatever it was hundreds or thousands of years ago and then marx literally like intellectualized it and essentially said oh yeah that i can i can show that that's true right i mean for me this is just all the things that went together yeah i mean i don't know how you could talk about all that shit or about mind and body and you know the environment forging your mind and your thoughts and your actions and your culture and your behaviors and then not be considered a philosopher like what the fuck have you got what else have you got to do to be thinking like a a philosopher that's insane i mean it's really just because they want to sort of say that just like marx was just some asshole who was jealous of rich people right it's literally (laughs) do they just want to sort of like pigeonhole his entire life into like nah he was just jealous of rich people right they just want to they don't want to actually give credence to any of his ideas or ponder for a second that this man might have like fundamentally understood differently the world around him right that's it so uh, i mean as much as we give shit to marx we also lend him some credit where credit's due this is you know we're carrying on this critique so okay and we got into how did you get into politics specifically it was through your instances with different resources such as like the zeitgeist movement you traveling to africa you were yes. 18 years old, 18, you went yeah. to Africa, I went to Amsterdam, bit of a difference. Yeah, 18 years old, yeah. Yeah, so what, what did you go to Africa for? What was it like? What was your thoughts before you went there, and how did they differ from your thoughts afterwards? Well, this is where I have comfort of third-worldists and Maoists and all the rest of it, because it's from a Westerner's imperial core 
and you absorb a lot of shit, right? I had to go through a year's training with a friend Pat of the norms, the language, not just the language, but the social norms, the power dynamics when you're being a white person in in a, in a, in a, a former colonial country and the legacy of that culture being imposed onto them of of the and all that kind of stuff before he was willing for me to go to Africa. I didn't just suddenly just go over. And I feel that a lot of people don't understand that we I was me and Pat were invited because you know a friend, you know someone contacted my friend Pat who's me and my family call him Pat Africa who's had seven years in Malawi and eight and about seven or eight years in Joburg within communities and what happened was that a village reached out to him and the chief, he had to go talk to the chief and I had to talk to the chief and it became this whole thing of gaining their trust and why we're there and we were there not to impose anything, not our western idea, mm. not this white saviour complex or help the noble savages bullshit. It was right we're going to come to say what you need we're going to be walking in the community, we're going to stay in the community, we're going to, we're going to sleep with a, with a, with a family and they're going to they, the fat family's going to volunteer to take me and Pat in. I will not, you know. So therefore, what happens is that the, every every attempt was made wow. for me to integrate into the village that we that we were working with. And what happened was that the experiences of seeing actual poverty. And I, I was so lucky that we went at night time. We reached it. It was about at night. What do you mean by actual poverty? Um, we're talking about people that are basically, you know, on the edge of starving to death. Like, if they have a bad crop, they're basically fucked. They're basically going to starve to death. Level of poverty. Fucking hell. Um, one incident that, that talked about exploitation, people say, why are you hardcore anti-imperialists? It's like, when you see your friends... I was there for a month. I couldn't stay... I wish I could stay longer, but I had braces and I had other issues in, in college and other commitments. But I remember my friend coming home and I'm like, what's this? Do you go out, get, do you, do you get payday and get some soap or something? Like, no, this is payday. It was like that's cheap, nasty soap you get in like super bargain stores, and it was like a hundred bars of soap, and that we had to share it out for the family because that was payday. They got paid in soap in the plant, the, the tea plantation I was at. Soap, not money, fucking soap, and other stuff I saw. And kids, you know, the irony of you know, in mosquito nets that were collecting dust because they didn't have enough money to buy it. And that's when I became like, even more anti-money than I was before in, in the monetary system and everything else and going artificial scarcity and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, this shit's got to go. And people dying of malaria and people dying of AIDS and charities coming in and dumping as a gift, quote-unquote, to people and all the problems and it being cut up and, and the social political stuff. Jesus and there was a point... Yeah, and I was like, imagine being a month, you actually have, you know, a, a friend basically got the flu and he was basically immobilised for a week because he's got AIDS. To, to elaborate on something, and this would also be great to highlight the viciousness of imperialism. I was going to ask this before you said this anyway, because I knew it's gonna, I knew it was going to be there. You mentioned charities coming in, helping them out. Who was that? What the fuck were we doing? And then we're going to analyse that. Oxfam. It was Oxfam, and, and, and no, no, you don't understand. And 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 uh, I've got evidence of this. This is not some. Oh, Emily's got resentment. When I went on the plane, it was full of missionaries, right from the west, right. And all those missionaries have a religious and social enslavement process 
I remember going to school and I had to challenge him. I was like, look, actually, are you saying that you would only feed them if they got a Bible? What the fuck? So it becomes this form of neocolonialism. And you need to understand that when people talk, see when people say, oh, Emily, you don't understand, you know, white privilege. It's like, oh, really? Have you had people literally bowing down to you as if you're a fucking prince or princess? No, you haven't. You haven't had people literally bending out and kissing your fucking feet. Like my, like, my friend Pat had to condition me not to abuse that power of people really like, crying and going, you know, and grabbing you and stuff like that. And and people were scared of you. And I and, and, and I actually explain, and, and having experience of elders in another village we visited, and they actually had PTSD flashbacks because of the colour of me and my friend's skin. And talking about the brother getting away in the camps, and said, oh, don't take us to the camps, don't take us to the camps, you know. And like shaking and having flashbacks of like the British in that part of Africa, like doing concentration camps in the fifties and the sixties and, and and everything else. Like, like the I was gonna say it was somewhat rel- it was somewhat recent when Britain would go in there and doing that shit. Oh, it's the end of the British Empire. It was like you know, and I mean, I can be a whole podcast itself because I can be being African. What I saw in that one month, but it was that kind yeah. of acceptance of there was no race issues after a point. It's like, oh, well, you just you're just using your money and resources to enable to be independent. And there was a nearby village that my friend Pat wanted to show me of they would actually make a base. There's actually I've got a, I've got a picture of this somewhere and it's fucking horrible. The poverty was extreme. They would go there to shoot to to take pictures, to then do fundraising and then not actually help that actual group. There's actually um, in IMF in the World Bank. I discovered this only a couple of years after being being in Africa, I think 2012 or something. That there's actually agreements to cut up different parts of third world countries and have legal obligations for for picking for a certain charity, like the Red Cross, whatever, to have jurisdiction in that area for charity work like, as a legal thing. And if another charity comes in, as we said, me and Pat are the charity because we were basically freelancers. That's why we're allowed to go in. Because legally, because we weren't a competing quote unquote charity, we're just two good to um people that do good gooders. But that whole process of them being exploited and being dependent then really began to kind of influence my disability politics of oh my god, that's a similar dependence that's manufactured in school settings at that time and economic settings, benefit settings, it began to really go about, they want people dependent, not independent. And that's when I realised, and also realised that, that their society was actually better than ours, culturally. You know, Ubuntu, we are, we are, no competition. I remember kids running back and forth, and they're like, between two trees, and I asked, like, who's winning? Because none of us are winning. They would wait till the slowest person catches up and then run again. Or they play football matches. It's like, who's winning? Is it Rizzo winning? We're just playing, we're kicking about. We're taking football about. Wow. And, and, and I remember talking to somebody, uh, you know, because you walk about and people are like, oh, where are you? Is that, oh, we're, we're in that, where's this fan that volunteered to take us in in the village? You mean you're not in the, you're not, you're not in the township, like 16, 15, 16 miles away, right? In a hotel. It's like, no, we're here, we're sleeping here. And people, People would wait outside to see you and greet you and go, you know, the, the t- you know, and that and what got to me was that we asked if we can be invited because it was actually an initiation ceremony last like couple of days before we had to leave and catch our flight, and 
we had it was an issue ceremony of like some boys becoming men. It's a traditional ceremony in that part of the village, and dancing through the whole village to get to the sheaf and everything. And when you have people crying, saying you're the first white people, the first outsiders that wanted to be part of the initiation ceremony, that's when it hits you of of they just saw it saw me as one of the tribe, you know, and Pat, you know, as as an extension of their family. And having people cry and begging and grabbing you and said, please don't go. You're the best thing that ever happened to us. We love you. You're like, you know, and someone said, you know, you're like, you're like, you're like a, a second child to me. People saying that to you. And I'm going, and I thought, oh my God, how many people in the Western world would think that's crazy of having such emotion and such attachment, such love and reverence. You don't want someone to go. It's seen as madness. And when I came back, I was like, actually a culture shock. Yeah, I don't need a shit in the pit. Yeah, I have running water and electricity. But the people here are deadened. It, I came back and was like, oh my god, like they're alienated, they're consumerist, they're traumatized. These people are dead. Like these people are genuinely dead. If they showed the same amount of emotion. I mean I had people singing while they were they were hoeing the land, you know, why is that was that yeah yeah right? People oh, like, wait, gorgeous. if he sang if he sang, if he, if he sang, in, if he sang you know, it's about the sun and, and, and other and other parts. Oh, and it's wow. singing about the sun comes every day in in Chichella, and it's that kind of and 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 a rhythm. It's like, I don't even know about the um. It was very similar to what you get in like in old Scotland, where like the women that would do the dyeing and the cloth making, where they, they would thump the song. The song would be for a working song as they were dyeing or or and and, and dealing with the cloth, dyeing the cloth. And it's just one of those things where I realised. That there was a humanity there that was lost, like the idea that I, and this is where I get to see the socialists that our security is the security of everyone around you. If someone's in poverty or a drug addict or something like that, you do influences outside of their control, right? And they rob from you. That's actually because of the social economic conditions. Because I, I met somebody that that the crop field and the neighboring the nearby neighbor was like, "Oh, we'll give you, we'll give you some of my crop." So he kids don't starve. And I said, why are you doing that? He says, I'd rather give him the food so his children, him doesn't starve, and him, out of desperation, taking it by force and disrupting the, 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 the goodwill in the village. And stuff like that. There was another case of a man that had to borrow a bike that was sitting there for a job interview, and he came back, and the guy said, oh, oh, I said, you watched the bikes? So well, this guy was in a suit. He was obviously for a job interview. And I thought, they're going to kick off. So Oh, you know, I got worried, you know, I got worried, you know, about my bike. I said, oh, I, I had to borrow it. There you go. It's in good condition. It's nothing wrong. And that was the end of it. In the West, you get kicked in. Like, you know, like if some working class person took a bike, then we'd be like, oh. And it's that kind of realisation when you get out of that culture. They accepted my differences. They accepted my intricities. They, they, they asked, when asked, how are you? Asked generally, how the fuck are you? Nonetheless, how are you? Small talk. And so when I came back, I became more alienated from society, um, of their values and everything else, and I, and I got more alienated from a lot of other people, where they did, obviously didn't have that experience, as we were saying earlier, I didn't have experience of death and destruction, yet people being happy and happy with life, and 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 singing and dancing and community and going, you know what, we're all in a sh- we're all in a shit together, but we're going to struggle together and have a vision of all of this being successful, not money or anything like that, but being a doctor or a nurse or a teacher or an engineer, something practical, not a celebrity. 
and I realised that that super alienated when I came back socially, uh, emotionally, and everything else. And then, and then obviously the disabled stuff as well made it more acute. That's when I kind of felt I I, I don't want to live in this kind of society, really. That's basically me, really. Boss <laughs> uh, hand. This is one of the things that I'm sure Ryan will agree that we absolutely should have an Africa and Marxism series and talk about imperialism overall over Africa and get more people on who have had experiences in Africa. The things you shared with us 18 years old, being accepted by a tribe, you see, a tribe for a lesser word for like these cultures getting together and, and not even like having races to defeat one another but just in the purpose of fun interest health and yeah again just solidarity sister just getting accepted by a fucking chieftain and then blowing minds when when it shows that you're literally like you know not an evil scumbag and you want yeah. to be accepted by them because you see them as human beings not just human beings but people more in touch with themselves and think that what we should, we should get out of that is the fact that the state the state that everybody defends over here like <laughs> pigs and, and the pigs actually do it's the state that's separating everybody apart the state forces alienation from us it forces us to go to work we don't have communities we don't have these mm. things and, you know, it keeps us separate. But when you have a state that doesn't even care about its own people and the state only serves the ruling classes in the country in which you went to, of course, you're going to see more community naturally because that's what human beings are without a state, without capitalism and, and without a ruling class or, or class-structured society. We could do a series. We could do a series on, like, pan-Africanism or we can even talk about, like, individual people, right? We can do... An episode on like Patrice Lumumba, we can do one on Thomas Sankara, we can do one on Marcus Garvey, right? Like we could do that for sure. Yeah, but I think the thing that gets to me is that it formed my politics of post-racial theory because I'm at the point where I'm like, well, if you're not fighting the legal and social and um, stuff and and actually making it a non-thing and that like I was in that village, you're not really into liberation. But the difference is that there's no political or social capital talking about disabled people, you know? Because then it's like, you know, association, if you associate with those kind of people, then it brings down your brand status if you're online or if you're an organisation. And I think I told you like last night that 70%, there's actually 74% of people, uh, I think it was the Air Smalley poll, I think it was like 2015 or something, said that... Uh, They'll be extremely uncomfortable being around disabled people to the point of avoidance in public and private. And only 14% of people would say they would invite a disabled colleague, friend, what have you, to their homes. And I think that's informed, I thought informing to go, right, you you don't care about disabled people because we make you so uncomfortable, you would literally avoid us in the street. Imagine if someone says, Oh yeah, get I've said to people, okay. Guess who this minority I'm talking about when I see these figures? I say racism or homophobia. I say, no, it's disabled people. Like 74% of people will avoid disabled people completely. And then we, and then that happens in, in um, Marxist spaces and stuff like that. It is Autism Awareness Month, <laughs> April. Everybody's probably heard of, of autism in their life. It seems like a colour for so many people. People have heard about different kind of spectrums and shit. But for like those who don't know, like what is autism? Could you provide us an answer to that? And then also go into the question on what disabilities do you have that you're willing to state 
you know, in the interest of solidarity yeah. for any other potential disabled listeners and for educational purposes for us normies? Yeah, um, well, autism, it depends who you ask. If you ask a medical doctor, you'll pathologize it. If you ask a fucking people that are relatives, you have a different answer. But very few people ask autistic people like myself what autism actually is. Autism is a different way of expressing ourselves, emotional processing, and processing the environment around us, and a different behavioural profile to the norm. The problem you've got is that the idea of normalcy, which we can get into a little bit later, I can get into a wee bit, but autistic people are people that are wired differently for different social and, and neurological skill set in the way that we look at the world. And I'm also going to say that when people ask that question, there's a hint of really probing, Not I know not you, Shibby, but of probing hmm. how disabled are you really? So it becomes like, oh, you're autistic, you don't look autistic, or oh, no, I think I've, and I joke, I think you're thinking about Down syndrome, that really makes them blush. And then uh, Tourette syndrome, and you might hear I'm not too dicky today, but squeak, squawks, you know, all the rest of it. Emotional and zero personality disorder. I got diagnosed with that two years ago due to my own personal experiences living in this society. And um, dyspraxia and dyslexia. Now, dyspraxia is a motor control issue and it also affects planning. And dyslexia is, well, dyslexia. But I'm going to say that when people ask that, is in a medical context, how medically messed up are you? And your functioning, inverted commas, which is actually kind of a bit of a joke, because functioning actually means most disability benefits and how disability is defined in appealing countries is your ability to work, right? You're disabled because you can't work in in a factory or an office or what have you. So for me, it's a very difficult, and that's why a lot of disabled people struggle to speak up like I have, because it becomes, oh, how, how bad is your Tourette's really? How bad is your autism really? How bad is your mental health issues really? It becomes, I thought, not even victim blaming, it becomes, you just cut people up and go, well, you need to prove how disabled you are to me for me to then accept you're disabled. Because most people think someone in a wheelchair is disabled or it's really, really horrible. And I'm going, well, actually, you all make it horrible because the social and relational model of disability, of barriers, social barriers, social issues. So autism is a disability, but in a, is, a, is, a, is a social disability by unaccepting, and I would actually say deadly society. Um, for example, actually this time last month, uh, the 1st of every of, of, of March is the Civil Day of Mourning. And that is, and the majority of those people murdered, which is that we've got 1,500 people confirmed from 2008-9. Over 200 of them are in the UK. It's probably more because it gets, it's really underreported, but this is like news stuff and things like that that gets in the news. Of people that get murdered by their carers and family. And the biggest quote-unquote disability that gets uh, murdered is people with intellectual disabilities and autism. And there's been a spike in them because of COVID-19 and a lot of the rhetoric. Oh, oh, and it was a case of a woman, I think it was in Sheffield or something, where she murdered her two boys. Instead of being arrested for manslaughter, she got put in quote-unquote a mental institution. That's what I mean, and that's what a lot of disabled people mean, with, and, and other stuff as well of, of, of making go into, of 
saying that it's it's okay to kill disabled people and autistic people. So for me personally, it's been a big thing of accepting my differences in the face of a society that literally wants me dead. They'd rather me be dead in a ditch or by suicide or what have you, or euthanasia in inverted commas, um, than me living. So, because we talk about the the right for disabled people to die in this culture, we don't talk about the right for disabled people to live in this culture. And I call Autism Awareness Month Autism Charity Awareness because not many people know what the hell autism is, and I'm sure Ryan, you can you can you can speak to my own experience of how little people people still think Rain Man is a good representation of autism. Oh my god, that's so insane! I was literally about to tell a story, <laughs> including yeah. that, because like people don't know. I also have like uh, they they say it's Asperger's, but whatever. I was literally just about to tell a story, including that. That's insane. <laughs> All right, I'll tell a story. So, yeah, I have Asperger's, whatever. Like, it doesn't really affect my life. Like, people would say I was quote-unquote normal, whatever, right? It's not like... What the hell is it? So they used to call it Asperger's syndrome, but now it's just sort of included in what they call ASD, which is like autism spectrum disorder, which is like... So it just makes you super smart and super clever and you can count cards. (laughs) I'm messing, I'm messing. Well, you see, here's the thing, right? Like, that's kind of where I'm going with this, right? Because, like, I'm not great at math, right? Never was even at school and everything, right? But... But people, like, knew I had Asperger's, whatever, whatever. So one day, some dude's like, yo, you want to go to a casino? And I'm like, Fuck why off. would I do that? Like, I've never expressed yeah, any yeah. interest in a casino Fuck or yeah. anything. And he's like, yeah but, you're, yeah, but you have autism, right? I'm like, yeah, not really sure what this has to do with anything. He's like, oh, come on, man. Like, you can count cards for me. Like, you can do that Rain Man shit. And I was like, I was just equal parts, like, hilarious and, like, w- what is life right now, right? Like. Yeah, it's happened to be a couple of times. I was like, you do know I've actually failed maths completely. But that's part of the exploitation. He's, he's trying. Wow, he's totally. Trying yeah. to get something out of you. And I'm going to be straight right. I've had issues in the university movement because a lot of my liberals, as I'll be talking about, autism is part of the diversity of humanity and depathologization. But I'm like, yeah, but you're begging and pleading employers to see how to, how you can exploit our natural neurological neurodivergent talents to make you more profit, like Microsoft and, and big tech companies. Like, oh yes, the good the good pattern recognition and good pattern thinkers. Let's employ them to see errors in code. And I'm like, yeah. And uh, there's actually the the autistic the National Autistic Society did a study and found that 84 percent of all autistic people are unemployed. Yeah, that's an insane statistic. 84, 84. Wow. Yeah. So once you add up all of these percentages, all these statistics, of course you're going to have a society that is basically just saying it's a lot easier if you did not exist because what we're talking about here is an inconvenience in a society that is trying to make us alienated from love, from solidarity, from caring about one another. So once the cognitive dissonance is right in front of you, which is another human being that has a beating heart and feelings such as yourself, then you're left with that cognitive dissonance going on in your mind, like, oh, two opposing thoughts acting simultaneously. I should be a good person. I should be good to them. But society would look at me like I'm special for like for like <laughs> handing out a hand and, and seeing them as a real human being. It's fucking insane. Just my thoughts on that. I don't know whether you could elaborate on that any anything. And Ryan, thanks for mentioning that. I love you. Okay. Let's just go all nuclear, shall we? Let's go. 
go fucking nuclear, and I don't, and I think can segue in very quickly because I'm going to touch on NHS and stuff like. That. Let's go nuclear because you also have had experience with our great free healthcare, the National Health Service. <laughs> How do you feel about the treatment or service this provides for you? And also, have raised the nuclear silo bunkers, so go mad. I've been saving this for like the past like ever or so. Basically, the NHS is actually not socialist. It is actually because of the beverage, excuse me, the beverage report of 1943, which was the report that then made the NHS and the modern welfare state is inherently got eugenics in it because beverage was a eugenicist. In other words, if you were disabled, right, and, and chronically disabled, you would actually be denied healthcare. And be- no benefits whatsoever. Only if you're in a w- got war injuries, etc., would you actually be able to get healthcare, proper healthcare, and also benefits. But also, people talk about all oh, the NHS is great. It's all right. It's great, is it? It's great, right? Mincap did a study, and I'll post a study. I'll post a study at some point because I've got it. That found that two thousand people a year with learning difficulties and autism died due to medical negligence. In the NHS, that includes, and actually they'd be stamped with a low priority in hospital. That was in 2018, before COVID-19. Then we've got the NICE guidelines that's basically stated that, like in camps of dependence, but I'm going to say it here, that literally, if you're disabled, even if you've got COVID-19, you would not be a priority patient in the NHS. We've also got, you've briefly touched on it, but you've got the do not resuscitate and do not treat orders of people with intellectual disabilities systemically giving out, including up here in Scotland. Three out of five cases of, of deaths of COVID in Scotland have been disabled people in the community. And the Office of National Statistics states that 70%, up to 70%, and this is probably a low estimate because that only includes hospitalizations and not deaths in the community, of all deaths, are disabled people. So anyone watching this in the, U- or in the UK and they see the death, just remember that 70% of those deaths are preventable deaths by disabled people. 90,000 people, and yet there is no outrage. And also, remember this time last year, our great glorious leader, Boris Johnson, and the other media lackeys basically said, oh, don't worry, only older people are co- people with underlying health conditions will be affected. This is the case here. After 10 years of austerity, after 20,000 people dying directly, and I've got this in black and white, but the DWP and Whitehall destroying social care, destroying benefits of people actually dying and covering up, right? And the fascist DWP covering up benefit deaths. I'm at the point where I'm like, yeah, society literally wants me dead the way it's been treating disabled people during COVID-19 as disposable. Me and my friends as disposable. I've had two friends die due to indifferent carers and they actually got COVID-19 and died in my disability charity in person. And we did a vigil for them. And I'm at, and this is the point where we're so marginalised, we are so othered, in an excellent book, The War on Disabled People, that we're so othered that our death is seen as a release from suffering. People think I suffer. People think that my life is horrible. And therefore, if I die, I'll be quote-unquote released from my suffering. 
imagine if, for example, and people might not like the comparison, but I'm going to do it, right? I'm going to do it. Imagine if Joy Floyd died and people go, well, you know, he's out of his misery now. You know, being black is so horrible. You know, they suffer unnecessarily and now he's out of his misery. Wow. They would be fucked, right? They would be fired. Wow. They'll be a shitstorm. But people did defend them. When I talk about this, people struggle with shoulders. Like, you know, what can you do? It's nature's way. Oh, yeah, nature's way to let a virus sweep through the country and be guided and corralled into care homes, into sheltered housing, into disabled people and elderly people to die. No, that's not natural. It's eugenics. People go, oh, well, it's not. Yeah, yeah, it is. Like, this is, this is eugenics by other means. In terms of crisis, the state goes down to eugenics. And um, I'm just going to say it outright. That's why I'm angry that George Floyd dies, massive protests. That woman in, in Chatham, she dies, massive fucking protests. And, and this epiphany hit me last, it hit me this weekend. Say it, it's fucking woke. Minds are going to be blown right now. If I died, I realise that there'll be an apathy and indifference apart from my friends and my family and my comrades. That there will not be an outrage if I get killed by the state. I will be seen as, as statistically, I will be seen as an unfortunate accident, inverted commas, or just the way my life goes, right? And this is the problem, that we're so marginalised that when we die at the scale we're dying in the UK, and the United States, and across Europe, by COVID-19, who speaks for us who is out in the streets who is holding vigils like we I, I did and i sobbed on the first of march of including people that died due to getting murdered by the state and getting murdered by their own mum and dads and they get and, and actually almost, and some of them until very recently have been trying to get away with it and there's a whole point of like them excusing it all oh, she snapped she was beyond breaking point and i'm going to say this right now only people that are disabled, their families and their friends go to that vigil, either online or in person, or cry about my fucking death or any other death of my people. And I'm going to say this right now, and anyone listening right now, I bet you're the few people that clicked on that that has some tangential interest. There's people that see disability and go, it's not my issue. And that's the problem, Shibby. They see that if it was race issue, I'm going to click on that, no hesitation. Gender issue, click on that. LGBT issue, I'm going to click on that. Class issue, I'm going to click on that. Oh, disability, oh, doesn't it affect me? None of my family is disabled. Fuck that, I'm going to avoid it, mm. right? I'm going to say this right now. Society and most people listening to this and everything else, if you don't come out, if you don't share this shit, if you don't share this podcast, my links to reach out to disabled charities, like Disabled Run, right, and radical disability organisations, you are my oppressor. You accept passively the death of my people. You accept the 90,000 disabled people dying in a genocide is okay. And I'm going to say that and scream at that to everyone that can hear. You are accepting a genocide. Or the weaker genocide, all about you, that doesn't fucking exist. Or the genocide of this and there, right? All this, but genocide of disabled people, nah, does they fucking matter? And in fact, do you want me to read out that quote that I did in my speech? I think I know what you're talking about. And I think Ryan could follow up with the social murder. Yeah, the social murder one. And that'd be a good bit to put in here. This gets me so 
so bad because the ignorance and everything else and the lack of exposure and an apartheid state of disabled people allows this to happen. We're in the social conditions that allow dead disabled people to die. This is the point I want people to get. Society conditions you to accept that us not being around is normal. Disabled people, quote unquote, shouldn't exist, quote unquote. Therefore, if they're not in society, if they're not in public spaces, not in political spaces, that's a good thing because they're not meant to be here, period, or due to medical advances, inverted commas, or should be aborted, or killed, or euthanized, or what have you, they should be dealt with. And I'm going to say here, fuck you, and fuck everybody that, that, that has ever thought that, and I'm going to, obviously, later on the show, I'm going to do a lovely little roast list at some point of the people that are complicit in the silence of my people, a conspiracy of silence on this issue. And I'm saying, now's the time. I'm starting this shit. I'm starting this revolution. I'm starting this uprising of disabled people. What the fuck have you got to lose other than your fucking change? Exactly. I've got nothing left to fucking lose. Everyone else I've got are clinging on to their freaking lives. And I'm at the point where it's like, either you join behind me after this podcast, get in, get in touch with me with my public email and my Twitter, and start joining shit. Or, as Fred Hampton says, if you're not for the revolution, get out of the way. Okay? Okay. So that's just that needs to be said. If you're not cheering, you're not supporting our comrades, literally vanguard shit. This is a vanguard member speaking to you, telling you the conditions that we're living in right now. If you dare try and respond with some bullshit to try and counter-oppose comrade emily's fucking life experience with some ancient text catch me outside because honest to god some of you need your literal heads taken off so listen fucking ryan could you go into that with angles analysis on social media and just try and put that for those people who have done nothing other than fucking read text to put it in fucking perspective for those motherfuckers yeah i mean listen social murder is the idea that Something that people think is like a natural system is actually the choice of individuals, right? Because within, you know, sort of bourgeois society, things get naturalized. People just say, oh, yeah, that's just nature. That's just how things are. You know, we touched on it earlier when we talked about the sort of do not resuscitate orders or, you know, the deaths of disabled people during COVID. You know, people will say, oh, that's just how it is. Like, someone's got to die from it, right? So, I mean, it's got to be someone, right? And this is what Engels coined as social murder first made an appearance in his 1845 work, um, The Condition of the Working Class in England. It's this idea, I won't give the whole quote because it is kind of old-timey and wordy, I guess, but the idea here is that if someone like stabs someone in the face and they die, that's murder and it's obvious, right? If you're sort of driving a car and you look down briefly to touch your phone and you hit someone, like, okay, it's manslaughter, right? You didn't intend it. But for some reason, when bourgeois society relegates certain sections of society and puts them in conditions that will eventually kill them, but just yes. slowly, right? People never think of these things as being an actual choice. They never think of this as being, you know, an active murder, essentially, on behalf of the bourgeoisie, right? They just never see it that way because it just becomes, oh, yeah, but they're just poor. Like, that's just how it is. Like, someone's got a, of course, every, every society's got like a group of people over there that, you know, just sort of die a little bit. Fucking So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I, I use that of a little comrade. It's like, that's what disabled people have to the extreme that we'll have euthanasia, like, C, like Bill C7, where it includes people with mental illness in Canada, allowed to basically 
legally kill themselves, and yet Canada's completely usurping and destroying all social care and benefits are actually one of the worst in, in America in terms of, you know, living under the poverty line. So it becomes a thing of either suffer under our capitalist system or kill yourself and we can save money. That's seen as okay, because that's that's the sharp end of what you're talking about, Ryan, that social murder. For, mm-hmm. base, for the basic conditions and then the, the offer to say people, oh, look, we can, we'll let you kill yourself, we'll let you die with dignity. Right. And I'm like, you didn't let, let me live with dignity, like, fuck off. You know what I mean? And people go, oh, yeah, but so there's no fucking but. Because in Canada, five years ago, it was all the people with terminal illnesses would get it. Now it's everyone that's disabled after five years. So you can't just have one group of people that get murdered. It's basically, it creeps into other sections of society and other marginalised groups. It doesn't just stay in that particular thing. There's pressure groups. There's a whole bunch of other people that end up wanting to die. And that's the point where it's like, I want want to live in a world where I'm not talking about the death and destruction and all this really hardcore, really emotional stuff, like talking about disability. I don't want to talk about, oh, wow, we've got almost 100,000 deaths of disabled people in in the UK or people living in squalor, or kids being scared of being, of, of getting murdered by their parents because of the autistic, or what have you. Like, I don't want to live in a world where we're talking about the levels of death of my particular people, which is astounding. And just talk about life, talk about political shit, yes. talk about thriving. People go, uh, you know, that's quite heavy. It's like, I need to deal with that every fucking day. I've had to counsel friends that basically said, you know what, if you get COVID-19, I'm not going to treat you. Disabled people I know had to disown family members because of the rhetoric of COVID nineteen, like that's serious. Wow. I'm not making it up to be hyperbolic, and that's where I get my anger. That's where I get my anger. It's like who the fuck is saying any of this stuff we're saying on this podcast today? Like you, you know, I've got to raise it. I've got to say, excuse me, and I'm, I'm going to be the expert into the emotional labour and freaking re-traumatise myself of actually due to try attempt to actually give a shit enough to actually not want me to actually dead yeah. or apathetic like yeah. Ryan said or it's natural for you to die it's natural for you to die of COVID-19 it's natural to, for you to have a suffering life and I say this to people the most radical thing that I am more than my thoughts more than my revolutionary spirit actually is me being a happy contented self-loving disabled woman hmm. amazing then so we'll continue this with a contradiction. But can I just say, like, thank you so much for all the answers. They're really interesting and fascinating. And people need, I mean, it's the truth, isn't it? You waking up, you're talking about death when you should be trying to fucking talk about life. Again, this is something we'll continue to do every now and again. We'll have an episode where we're just talking beyond politics, beyond socialism, beyond communism, because, I mean, we need to at the same time be progressive and work against the forces that are trying to repress us while at the same time plan a vision of what the future can be. And I think that you touched on that by saying you just want to talk about life rather than death. I mean, that thing about like the naturalization of systems, right? Like I saw people temporarily realize that like last year in real time during like the first year of COVID and everything, I think the government decided to like house all homeless people in hotels right they essentially decided just to put all homeless people in hotels and i saw people on twitter like you know these are sort of like the sort of neoliberal types but ultimately there are sort of people who have been abused by that ideology who didn't even who really thought that it was the truth you know and they were saying things like wait you mean that we could have just decided to house homeless people this entire time 
right? Because they honestly believe and buy into an ideology that tells them that no, homeless people is a necessity. It has to happen, right? It cannot be any other way than this, right? So they really are like abused by that ideology. And then one day they wake up to news that the government's just housed every homeless person. And they're like, wait a minute, you've been telling me this entire time that they had to be homeless, right? That this was a necessity, that it couldn't be any other way. You're telling me that this was a choice this entire time. Like the government just woke up one day and was like, okay, we're going to just get away with this. Right. Interesting. And they finally realized it. They were like, wait a minute, this whole thing's a choice. And it's like, yeah, that's right. It's a choice. Like every single day you wake up and the government has decided to keep homeless people homeless today. Like every single day, it's a choice minute by minute, right? Like that that is a choice they are making by not doing anything about it they are making the choice to continue to have people be homeless yep. and whenever people reiterate some of the arguments that they would use with their fault it's just oh the immigrants or this and that i mean they've been coerced into saying that and they're given consent in order to keep homeless people on the streets and in order to make sure that the people who aren't supported in any way, shape or form by the state, while the state continues to support capitalists in the form of like billions of fucking bank bailouts and shit. Yeah, I mean, it sort of crystallized the idea to me that like these people are just as a victim of that ideology as any well other people, right? Because these people really were like, wait a minute. Like they really bought into the ideology. Like they really thought that homeless people were a necessity like it had to be this way and couldn't be any other way so suddenly when one day they wake up and it's like oh the government's just decided to end that right that must that for them i'm sure that like rocked their world they were like oh whoa whoa you've told me this whole time that it couldn't be any other way and then you just woke up one day and you were like well we solved that problem don't worry about it right and i literally saw liberals like no 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 you can't just you just did this. You just changed your mind one day. You just clicked your fingers and housed all of these homeless people. Like, why don't we just do that every day? It's like, yeah, exactly. That's because it's an ideology. It's a choice. Every day they don't house those people. They are choosing not to house those people. It's really simple. And I was also going to say, like, like, make no mistake. Like, obviously the government didn't do it because they discovered a heart one day, right? Like, obviously they did it for purely selfish economic reasons, no doubt. But... If it wasn't possible to do it, then they wouldn't have been able to do it, if that makes sense, right? And the people that buy into that ideology really thought that, like, no, it is an impossibility, right? Something, something, market forces, something, something, like, you cannot put these people in homes. And then, lo and behold, they wake up one day and it's like, oh, yeah, we did that. And obviously, it was for purely selfish reasons, right? It was for capital, ultimately, like everything is, right? Because at this point, they realize that people are contagious, right? So like if homeless people catch it, and then duh, that means, you know, you're not, you're not special. You're not biologically special just because you're a member of the bourgeoisie, right? Like you can catch the virus from a homeless person. Of course you can. You're both human. The point that I see is that like, the labor relations theory of disability, where the only group is actually oppressed because we can't work. And I think you touched upon it, but people understand that, that if because of productive time, accommodations, releasing is less profitable. And the ruling class is like, well, why should I employ you when there's like a surplus army of labor or people on the dole, like ready to kind of take that place? So that's why actual employment for disabled people is in the, in the 20s and 30 percent, like depending on like where you go. It's literally a lot low because they're literally seen as unemployable. I am unemployable. And what the homeless people actually are, are people that are lumping, are people that are actually, they're actually there, a social element of if you don't go to your job, if you strike, it's a, it's a subtext of 
if you resist, you be like that person over there. So be a good boy and girl and no. just continue going up to work and go to McDonald's even during COVID-19 and, uh, you know, <laughs> be, be, a, be, be a good worker. That's the actual main point yeah. of it. It's not even about economics. It's about a form of social coercion. It, that's what homelessness actually is. And no one's willing to actually say that because it's economic and it's not as issues about housing and rents. It's like, no, they're there to basically secure the shit of the working and middle class. Mm, definitely. It's like, oh, like, you know, be careful. Oh, you, you become disabled. I'm like, it only takes one car crash, mate, and you're going to be disabled. Like 84% of all disabilities are acquired by old age or yeah, yep. uh, what have you, or catching a disease like COVID-19, getting long COVID, mm. cough, cough. Of course, thank you for your answer on your experience with NHS, the system that's proven to not be as amazing that everybody else in the world makes out it is to be, so they need to be named and shamed for that. But more specifically, are there any better alternatives for healthcare in the world that you'd prefer regarding the treatments and support for disabled? Well, the problem is, apart from some outliers, like some parts of the Soviet Union and some parts of Cuba, there hasn't been a revolutionary decision about healthcare for disabled people, really, that I've seen. What I mean by that is the idea of a normal body mind, which actually has infected almost everything in society, and it's actually the heart of capitalism. It's actually the heart. Disability did not exist until the uh, labour relations of capitalism, because you need a measure of how much can someone physically work, mentally work, push them to the limit, so that becomes anything is we go, well, these are hyperproductive people versus these unproductive people. And that, and for example, dyslexia did become a thing until the need for education to run the machines and the factories and everything else. So it didn't even be, it wasn't even recognised until the social and economic conditions changed. All disabilities are social, relationally dependent. There's a social and economic component. It's not static. You're not disabled. And disablement is when forces and social and economic forces disable you. Physical impairment, which is the condition or the body-mind difference. And then you've got the actual disability or disablement process of capitalism. So when people talk about all the medical stuff, well, we've got the Mental Health Act in the UK, which is draconian, where I've always been sectioned myself and I've seen friends being sectioned, where you can be forcibly treated. You can't leave. You legally can't leave. Even if you want to, even if you've got the mental capacity to leave, you need to convince a doctor to send you out of a facility. You're basically in prison with less rights than a prisoner. And by the way, there have been massive deaths of people mental war- mental wards and uh, mental hospitals, but who, do they give us- who gives a fuck about them? So when people talk about treatment, I ask, is it to maintain a certain level of functionality and to minimise impairment by the choice of the person or is it the rationalization of a corporate seeing you know everything when you see everything when you have old andrews you see every hammer everything looks like a nail and we've not accepted that the values the outlook of how we see disabled people is by a medical industry the medical industry is actually reform of the eugenics view of disabled people so therefore that there's a problem because i've said to the same people, we need to have a new model of bodily autonomy and bodily intervention rather than, well, you're against the norm, the average. 
comparing you to the average, and therefore I'm going to get you closer to the average. If I just say to somebody, well, black people are minority, they suffer from, from a mentalin condition, and they actually need to be whitened, people will be up, outraged about that. But that's the normative value. In fact, the word normal comes from Frankie Scolton. Every time someone says, what is normal? I say, well, actually, normal is the social and economic values and, and, and value a human being in your life. So what happens is that the medical model was used, the medical establishment is, has been and continues to be used in NHS and in other parts of the world of a way of making the sale people, quote-unquote, less impairment enough to go into the workforce. It's not about the welfare. It's not about them being good people or minimising so they can have daily living and getting to a certain and stabilising themselves in ways of dealing and working around the limitations of the body, body mind. A good example of this actually recently has been mental health treatment in the UK has been reformed and is an excellent group talks about this called Recovery in the Bin, where instead of being led by disabled people and people with mental health conditions or mental distress, They've actually put it, and I've got video out there, so I need to go and check it out, but you, I can send it your way, Shabby and Ryan, you'd be fine interesting. Where work in and of itself and getting a job and maintaining a job is seen as a mental health outcome. Yeah, you heard that right. So not the well-being of the person, not friends, family, hobbies, all the elements of humanity. The very capitalist notion of can they hold and maintain a job? It's their fault. They're not trying hard enough. They're not adjusting to the economic conditions yes being re-engineered and there's also an excellent book because we forget that the whole medical establishment is for profit there's an excellent book on this called medicalization of society and it goes about how there's new markets and how normal gets smaller and smaller and smaller to medicate for interventions and there's an excellent uh, documentary i think it's like bleeding edge or something like that on netflix about the issues with like prosthetics of other medical instruments actually f- messing people up so there's a whole bunch of, of documentation and things like that about actually the only way people actually see to see people as a medical f- dysfunction that's why i don't like talking about it because it becomes oh have, have you got good treatment for your Tourette's have you had good mental health treatment well no because it's all to make you normal it's all to make you fit into society and possibly do make to have a job be accumulating for capital and we can't get to that point then you're you know resisting treatment you're being uppity by not trying hard enough. There's, there's a moral value, there's not scientific values. So therefore, what happens is it's actually a form of depoliticization. We talk about the medical side of disability. If we're not careful, we actually engage in the process of depoliticization of disabled bodies and disabled minds. Because when we're doing that, it's an individualistic approach. We're talking about the individual who's autistic, Tourette's, got this condition, a wheelchair user, we're not talking about the lack of ability to talk about different bodies and different minds and not even accommodating them, but accepting them. Accepting this is the price of having a body or a mind, that things don't work properly or they come in a different configuration or this and that. It's part of human diversity. Yeah, there can be problems. Yeah, there can be issues. For me, it's very much like we need to be celebrated and needs to be led by the person. I'll give you a very quick example before we can move on. In the Tourette's community, there was a case where a friend went to get to the doctor and the mum asked, oh, is there any pills for him? The doctor turned to her and said, actually, it's for the kid to decide because is this pill for society or is this pill to manage his condition so it gets out of his way of his life? And I think when we talk about it, it's about acceptance of being quote-unquote normal, being 
socially acceptable and being on the less uncomfortable spectrum of disability that we talked about earlier and therefore depoliticized to the point where people ask, well, how is disability a political issue? Because all we hear is doctors and medical professionals controlling your life. We can talk about healthcare and we can talk about the care system and stuff like that as well, where I'm leaving the Scottish Socialist Party. Yes, I'm calling you guys out. This is a wee bit of an early roast, a mini roast, if you will. And it's the National Care Service talking here in Scotland. And I say to people, well, you do know that A, the privatisation is actually not the problem. It's the mentality of us being taken care of like five-year-olds or even babies in the community with friends, with family, in self-directed care by family members, the person themselves, by consent, not enforcement not going to an institution, not going to a death camp dressed up as a caring facility. Yeah, that's a radical, that might be seen as controversial to say, but I've got evidence, guys. If anyone want to at me on Twitter or Facebook or Twitter or my email, I've got all the evidence, right? I've got all the evidence of this stuff I'm saying today on this podcast, unless, you know, you know, hot takes, right? For me personally, that gets folded into talking about care of disabled people. If people told you when you can sleep, when you can shit or piss, when you can go out, all the major decisions of your life, is that living or is that being coddled and basically removed from positions of power and having a life to get out of society, to be warehoused in your house or in, in, in another institution? Because when people talk about care, we're talking about that kind of care. We're talking about that kind of issue of being taken care of, quote unquote, in a medical sense or in a caring sense. And this is why I have issues with people because... Sometimes anarchists, and I, I understand, they say, oh, well, we're against unjustified hierarchies. Okay, what do you think of medical professionals? Oh, that's a justified hierarchy. Or really, have you had experiences, and this, if they're not disabled, I, I kind of go off on them and, and go, well, actually, have you had doctors sign off whether or not you can actually get, for example, uh, support workers in to help you out? No. Have you had the fact that a, a doctor could actually, with a flick of his, pe- his or her pen, basically make you go into a mental ward against your will or other forms of incarceration and confinement? No. Have you had it where it affects your access to stuff at an educational level of supports and accommodations? No. In other areas of your life? No. Then you've got no authority to speak about the authority of doctors when you own experience if you break a bone or you get sick by COVID or you get sick from other some other disease or temporary ailment. You don't have the permanent shadow of under the benevolence of a medical or social system like that or police sh- sh- shucking you in a jail until you you know a doctor can come to assess you if you're a threat or not under the mercy of strangers. So, yeah... Unless we actually say what do disabled people want and how do we actualize that? That's what I mean by Miko to Africa actually had a synthesis of this thing. It's imposed onto us what we should have, who we should be, treatment options, guilt tripped, or you're being a nuisance, um, you're being a burden unless you do this treatment, or die even. In Canada, and the Bill C7, which passed a, few, a month or two ago, euthanasia is seen as a healthcare option. It's actually legally says a healthcare option of killing yourself by the state. It says a healthcare option. This is the madness and the contortions that happens in our society. And therefore, this disability is a, needs to be reimagined as a political issue, an economic issue, a social issue, body autonomy issue. Because pe- I have people that are oh, pro life and body autonomy. Oh, really? 
Right? Do you think it's okay for people with mental health issues to actually be forced treatment and not discuss treatments and uh, the human rights, all the human rights stripped worse than a prisoner? And all but their mental health people, they need to, you know, they'll be dangerous. And then I go, you know what, fuck off. No. Hopefully that gives you a wee bit of a context where it needs to be led by disabled people, disabled people organisations. In fact, it's actually in the UN Convention, sorry, of Disabled Persons for all decisions and effects of disabled people need to come from disabled people organisations and disabled people themselves, not imposed. And that's why we have the phrase, nothing about us without us. Because for so much of our history, people have imposed what they want or their convenience for society or for a capitalist class, not us. And until we have that discussion, until we actually begin to have a discussion about what do we actually need as human beings, then... It doesn't matter. Mm. I, I don't. I don't really care. I mean, people talk about access to medical care. So it doesn't really matter because it's, it's oppressive and it's organisation and legal standing. Nice one. So the next question is going to be about oppression. I, don't know, I was just going to say that, like, it also shows that there's no such thing as like apolitical within a society, right? Like a tool like that that people will justify as like, oh no, but you don't understand. It's like to help them. It's like, oh, well, even if you believe that. You understand that that can now be used as a political weapon by whoever's in charge to like justify, you know, unlawful detainment of a certain section of the population, right? Mm. Like it's the weaponization of everything. Everything yeah. becomes politicized. Like that's not going to just stay as a thing that's only used on people that really need it. And we really only do it to help people. Like the second you allow that within a society, it's, it becomes a weapon. The actual mental health fat has actually been used against people that don't want to get the COVID jag or other treatment options or even outside by the police. And it's actually part of the Coronavirus Act in England. You're absolutely right, Ryan. I've just seen that as an example of a prior act being reformed and adjacent to the Coronavirus Act to basically be oppressive to non-disabled people or people with non-mental health issues. Actually using the act, or supposedly it's a mental illness, to actually think there's a conspiracy of, of, of issues with the vaccines. Like, that's actually happened. So you're absolutely right, Ryan. Uh, but people don't see it until it's, the boot lands on them, sadly. I just wanted to add that. But you're absolutely right. Continue, Ryan. People don't, they don't understand the material reality that ideology plays. I've had people, when I've explained to people that, like, you know, the idea within capitalist societies of, like, individualization and atomization, the idea that, like, everyone's on their own. You know, I've had people say, but, but that doesn't do any harm. What are you talking about? And, and I, you, it could not be more wrong. Because the second you adopt that mentality, that means all your failings are your own, right? There's no such thing as, as a society, like Margaret Thatcher said, right? There's no such thing as like helping each other. It's literally just anything that you can achieve on your own, and that's it, right? And it just sort of, it disappears, oppression by structures and systems. It just becomes, actually, everything that's bad to you is entirely your own fault, right? Which people accept for some reason, but like... I don't understand how people don't see that as ridiculous, honestly. We talk about as communists and as Marxists and people as socialists who want progress. We're talking about the conditions, you know, when the conditions are going to get so bad, people are going to rise up and revolt. And you're also talking about if you are having all your decisions made to you, what kind of life do you have? If you have to ask somebody to go for a fucking piss in your own house or you, or you have to <laughs> knock on the door before leaving your fucking dorm room, anything like that is fucking wild. But to me, if I'm to stretch that, maybe desensitize what you're saying a little bit, but with the purpose of giving it a more inclusive perspective on the whole of class domination by the ruling class is that everybody's life, this is, I think, what globalization exists for, is to have 
working class people born they're gonna do this you know all the roads all the streets all the signs you know in the same way that like when train tracks were first built in the united states they were to go to the mine and things so like infrastructure is literally designed everything the base and the superstructure every building road infrastructure is designed to shepherd us in the same way that the ruling class have been shepherding COVID into care homes and, you know, clinic to attack the disabled and the elderly who they seem as a strain on the economy and what is the economy. The economy is nothing but built off the backs and the wage slavery and the alienation of our life force as working class people. A good point was raised in, in the chat then by Plough saying that Many people working in these service industries see working, you know, wage slavery as inclusion into society. So, I mean, we're all born, all of our lives are fucking makes us into, I'm just kind of say it, fuck, it's ridiculous, but we're like fucking sheep being shepherded here. Perhaps you could sort of take it on the chin, take it all in one in one go and allow the disease, as it were, to, to move through the, the population. Uh, I without really taking as many draconian measures. I think we need to strike a balance. I think the talking about us with language as if we're the herd of fucking sheep. That's essentially what the fuck we are. So globalization, whether any class you are, your life is almost set up. Even if you study sociology, they call that your life chances, how likely you are to die in an early age because you are forced to do some job that damaged your health. But the problem, and this is where I think we should get back at and be so furious at with the other Marxists to turn this on. We're not just talking about disability here, we're talking about the failings of Marxists today as we advance history towards socialism. Is the fact that these are sat back, like able-bodied, with good credit, reading all day long because they don't have to do fucking anything else because they're not actually struggling that much. The problem with that is the conditions are already so bad conditions are already severe people are literally being murdered intentionally that's the thing it's like most of these people as you said are going to become disabled at some point in their lives whether it's through old age or just simple accidents then their attitude will fucking change i bet you they'll see you as the best comrade in the world saying oh everything you're saying is fucking true but because their material physical conditions aren't so bad whether you're black, white, brown, yellow, uh, uh, every shade under the fucking sun, we're oppressed. The conditions are fucking bad. We're heading towards extinction. What the fuck have you got to do, people? I tell you what you've got to do. You've got to stop worshipping whoever, whatever communist it is that you like every single fucking post and everything they do and then wait for them hand on fucking foot with your fucking parasocial fucking relationships with these fools. Spreadtude, you gotta die. Um, everybody else is gonna get the fucking wall as well, and we've gotta build a new lumpen culture where lumpen people can connect with each other, share each other's support, and then drive this information up. It's insane, or even backwards, because we're Vanguard, we've gotta let this information trickle down to these fucking aristocrats or aristocrats. I mean, we still haven't done an episode on that, and we should, right? Like, I don't know in the culture industry or like... Oh, I know. Got to. Society of the spectacle. Oh, or... God. We talk about this so much. It's so easy to go over this point. But what is oppression? Oppression, the definition in which we're talking about, is to burden with cruel or unjust impositions or restraints. 
so that is to subject a burdensome or harsh exercise of authority or power. The disabled people are unquestionably, literally, definitionally oppressed. Just look at instances with like the UK government issuing do not resuscitate orders on COVID patients, um, as well as what you talked about in the Scottish Parliament, forcing it onto courts to just not even have their truth accepted as if, you know, they're subhuman. Yeah. You know, there's a history of proletarian oppression on the disabled people, which talks about in our previous episode on disability and Marxism with let us do our actual communist scientific socialist listeners a favor here can you suggest what we need to do to provide solidarity support and generally what can we do for you differently intellectually ideologically or physically as we are going forwards in our actions that are unquestionably going to shape the future in order to change it from the oppressed mode which it currently functions under? Big question there. I'm sure you've got an answer for us, though. I'm first going to start, basically, one, understand that disability is, we've got a politics, we've got a culture, we've got a history, we have got, and I'm also going to say that you need to listen to disabled people and you need to ask the question constantly who isn't here an online meeting and in person in person meetings soon covid cams soon a little bit if you don't know anyone disabled or they're hiding a disability you've got a problem accessibility where you've got to ask is this you know have a conversation about disability access right because people keep on using the word accessibility it's almost lost completely all its meaning in a disability context, I call it disability access. Is your meeting, physical meeting, wheelchair accessible? Is there provisions to deal with people that are deaf or partly sighted or have sight problems, people with mental health issues, people that are autistic or otherwise neurodiverse? Is there a system in place to deal with it in person and as a structure? Because one in five people in the UK are disabled, so you're going to have some people in your organisation, whether you know it or not, are going to have some kind of less obvious, I hate using the word um, invisible, less obvious disability. Second, we can't invite people on and we need to have a, a process of politicalization, of political discussion of disabled stuff like we have today. And I'm going to call out, I don't know if I should call out at the moment, but for me, it's very much YouTubers, podcasters, book writers, basically the thought leaders of the left need to get their shit together, either covering disabled people or having disabled people actually come on, like today, and talk about radical disability politics. Reach out to organisations in the UK and the United States and parts of Europe, such as DPAC, Disabled People Against Cuts, Black Triangle, and other radical disabled groups that are fighting against the horrors of COVID-19 and the eugenics and, and far-right turn it into fascism are having. If you don't do that, I'm going to call you out and I want everyone listening to call them out. I want everyone galvanised by what I'm saying to call them out. And I'm also going to say that we need to expunge the notion that Marx talked about that the lumpen proletariat are not a revolutionary force. He was wrong on that count. And I'll give you an example. No one wants to accept the fact that some of the biggest uprisings in recent history have been prisoners 
and has been people in mental wards. There's been actually a lot of people in mental wards uprising against authoritarianism and against the use of the state repression. For example, people in mental wards rebelling against the racist use of psychosis and schizophrenia against black people. An excellent book that protests psychosis. The thing is, there needs to be a process of getting disabled issues and disabled politics and understandings up to the same level as race, class, gender and sexuality. In other words, unless it's on parity in terms of time, dedication and actual respect as a political social force and as a distinct group as oppressed, we won't get anywhere. And as I get to my conclusion, what we can do better? Well, firstly, we can go to my roast list of a short list of people and uh, what not to do if you're a podcaster, a shitty little dude, a bread shiver, and whatnot. If you're listening, obnoxious anarchist, your video conflating animal liberation with disability and veganism, you would not do that to a black minority of the conflation of animals compared to fucking blacks or other ethnic groups, or to gays, and yet you conflated the, uh, the, and the video's horrific, of disabled liberation with the quote-unquote dehumanisation of people to the realm of animals. I do not know if you're disabled yourself in any particular way, but if you don't have me on, or reach out to any disabled activists in, in Canada, and there are quite a few, then you're not my comrade. Until you actually do, and have live streams, you're not my comrade and I will poke you and prod you in DMs I'll actually chase you up on this promise and if you want to you can uh, my, my email will be in the description of this podcast, my public email thelessexploitables at gmail.com and if you don't reach out you're on the nope list non-compete an, an Ancom YouTuber who a couple of, uh, I, I believe it was late last year talked about the fact that he is disabled um, he's got some medical condition and accepted that he himself has actually not covered disability issues and admits this in a video. Non-compete, I actually ask upon you if you're watching or listening or people who are fans of him and his Patreon because I don't have all the money in the world to subscribe to everyone's fucking Patreons to make these recommendations, I'm sorry to say. And actually implore him to Johnson, American Johnson, who is a, the host of Non-Compete YouTube channel. To have disabled people on, a disabled caucus, and talk about COVID-19 and disability issues as a political issue, just like racism, sexism, everything else I just described in this section of the podcast. The Varia Media, they have broken every promise of working with DPAC and other disabled activists. They've only platformed three times, both in their podcast and sub-podcasts disabled people. One of them is interviewing Francis Ryan for 20 minutes talking about disabled feminism and then the third one is having Peter Singer who wrote Animal Liberation talking about for 12 minutes in the mid-March of 2001 on the ethics of killing disabled babies unopposed and Aaron Bassani the piece of shit and I'm going to see he's a piece of shit I mean he's, he actually had Talk about CRISPR with a gene editing tool of editing out quote unquote diseases and all was eugenics of disabled people. And also, he himself did not intervene and he, he introduced him with this actual question in his interview on their, on their YouTube channel 
of saying that disabled people have concerns of what you said about disabled people in the past. Concerns my arse. Fuck you. The Vara Media, their YouTube account, their Facebook, Twitter and other media outlets banned and or blocked disabled people's comments and blocked people messaging them. And in fact, another live stream, the Super Chat was banning words such as disabled and the actual name of the prior guest. Only when called out on disabled media and by DPAC have they actually quote-unquote apologised. But anyone doing a five-minute Google search will know he's a eugenicist and wants my people gone. I implore people that are following Navara Media on social media and on YouTube to unsub from this disgusting, disabledist trash catfire of a YouTube and media platform. They have burned every single bridge with disabled people and they must be punished for this and I will not stop calling them out in public and in private. Then there is other podcasters, other YouTubers that are too numerous to name because it will be half an hour plus me doing so. Every person in mixed media who is a public figure and who is actually someone that does disabled streams need to have disabled voices on on the plight of COVID-19, austerity and hate crime among other issues. Or you're not a revolutionary force. I implore the English, and I'll reach out to you at some point, to have me or another member on having a stream about um, COVID-19 and also talk about disability politics in a Marxist sense, such as in The Very Capitalist Condition and Capitalism and Disability by Martha Russell. In other words, your silence, your conspiracy of silence on this issue of ignoring no, not including any people from the largest minority in the world. Disabled people, the, the World Health Organization has, has estimated that a billion people on the planet can be legally considered disabled. That's almost the population of India, completely ignored from everything from climate change all the way to COVID-19. So I say to you again, if you know this, if you hear this podcast, and yet do not reach out, do not email me, do not reach out to this podcast, to Shibby and to Ryan, about getting me or other how to get contact with disabled activists and people that are in this particular fight are not my comrades. You are a betrayer and you are my oppressor. And until that's called out by people listening to this podcast, by their followers and their viewers, this genocide of my people will continue and the ignorance of these issues will continue until we are extinct in the coming horizon of genetic engineering and major biomedical interventions against our will. That's what I say to people. Either join in or get the fuck out. And that's the whole point. When I've been pushed out of major political parties, activist groups such as Extinction Rebellion, and a whole host of social and economic issues, and actually clinging, clinging to comrades which see me as a valuable member, that is not an aberration. It is the norm. You do not want me, for I disrupt, like the podcast today, notions of class, ability, humanity, and more importantly, the true underbelly, the true heart of capitalism is disabledism, not racism, not classism, disabledism, your ability to work. And until that understanding permeates the online left and online and organisations, rather than being 
in the UK, for example, I'm going to give an example and wrapping up the wine, in media of quote-unquote benefit claimants in, in, on reference to disabled people or quote-unquote the infamous shielders and yet have nobody on. I also call on Owen Jones, who has had every single person on apart from disabled people. There's wonderful people in DPAC, such as Ellen Clifford, who wrote that amazing book, Disabled People at War Against Disabled People, or even Francis Ryan, a fellow journalist at The Guardian, Owen, and yet you do not invite her on to talk about disability during COVID-19 and austerity. Shame on you. And as begin to rise, this is engineered. This is not how it should be. This is your complicit absence. In the words of Martin Luther King, we remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends and that's basically me doing my freaking roasting and if you have any problems with what i say about all well you know we don't have time make time make an effort and if you don't you're allowing 90 90 000 disabled people to die you're allowing austerity and all the problems we got and i talk about my speeches to be silenced and suffering alone in their homes with their families and that's unacceptable and you call yourself human if you allow that to happen. Goodness me. Thank you, Emily. Important points to go through. Not my comrade, first and foremost, if you're not struggling with me, if you're not struggling with the oppressed. As for like these other opportunists I've never seen over our media. I don't watch all these other idiots yeah. on, on YouTube. I don't watch nothing or listen to nobody that isn't revolutionary or at least has a cultural critique that it reinforces anti-capitalism i just don't fuck with liberals but in in no way shape or form but because there's a lot of people out there who do and you're obviously aware of the trends and you can stay on top of it to see where everybody else's consciousness is at which is important and we need comrades doing that exact same thing then you know we need to critique these motherfuckers and in the art opportunities you know talking about animal liberation talking about animal feminism like whatever obscure new trend it seems to be with these liberals who hop onto and then these opportunists are like oh there's a new trend there's some new potential followers to get them on board and we can talk this shit they don't really fucking care about nothing other than their own fucking platforms and materialism these are scumbags if you ask me and and it's just a pure conscious strategy to get like these obscure people on or even like cause controversy sometimes very important figure that you raised is a billion people who could be legally disabled on planet Earth. That to me is just astronomically, and at the end of the day, we should be human beings first and put all human beings in the same category. Now, of course, we understand there's a political struggle that we have to bring to to alleviate these contradictions in different classes, and that's where we have to push ourselves intellectually because society and the state is never going to do that for us. We do have to reach out to comrades like Henry, join Revolutionary Lumpen Radio, speak to all, all other comrades who come on the show in our Discord. Again, we have to learn from each other and get resources because we have to do the study ourselves particularly if you don't have the practice, then you have to see who's lived this shit. And those Marxists were more than happy and willing to talk about it. And talking about Marx and, and his opinion going back, and people need to get over his opinion on, on the lump of proletariat. It is true. I've yeah. failed myself and, and everybody else during this time when I haven't actually released on the lump and in the imperial court. That, that, that needs to go on marxist.org or 
uh, again, blood's going to be spilled. Like, no bullshit, because I've lived this shit, but the reason I haven't actually done this text for other people to see what a Marxist analysis of an actual lumpen to other pros, you know, for example, I know people like Caleb Morpin's done them. I know there's a few other comrades who've done on the lumpen within the last year or two, but they've never been lumpen themselves. So the reason I haven't put it out is because I'm still learning so much. But sex workers done sex work Marxism series. I've learned a lot about that. You know, all these other classes within the lumpen class, all these other strata's, including the disabled. I should maybe include the elderly. Who knows? And also the homeless. I'm still constantly engaging with these other classes. So it's like every day where I do speak to you, like I said, my mind blows and I learn so much. So the work is coming. It's going to be a summarization of everything that I'm learning from a comrade to engage with and, you know, speak to like I'm learning from Emily now along with everybody else. So, you know, these interviews are really actual study. It's actual research. This is intellectual labor, what we're doing now. And this is something that, of course, even the disabled people are more than capable of doing, of getting heavily involved in, in intellectual labor. Emily's speech at the start, you know, all of her writing since then, she had to sit down and, and put the time in to express her thoughts when, again, we only know what we know to make us good workers. So we have to push ourselves and we have to support each other. And it's daunting. We're up against a lot here, people. But we need solidarity. We need love. We need support. And we also need to take the power away from those with power. And we're talking about the bread tubers, the opportunists, and all these other fools who aren't listening to the most oppressed. Oh, and eugenics was mentioned briefly, but, you know, we, we spoke about that in our last episode. So people have a good chance to listen to that for, for analysis on eugenics. Yes. But thank you for, for that, Emily. I mean, I could walk all over those topics, honestly. Like anything about like eugenics, never forget that like the Nazis took inspiration from America on that point. And when you want to talk about like Marx being wrong on the revolutionary presentation of the Lumpen, that's for sure true. I mean, that was shown. Even more recently, um, there were letters exchanged between Mao and Stalin, right? Stalin taking the sort of that position, the traditional, you know, Marxist position of the Lumpen not being a revolutionary class. And Mao obviously moved past that. And the CCP at that time incorporated, you know, it had giant peasant elements, essentially, right? So Mao understood the revolutionary potential of the Lumpen. And he disagreed with Stalin on this, right? This is why I um, generally favor Mao over Stalin um, for that one reason and others. Yeah, so that's not, it's not a, an immaterial difference. It's not like, well, what's, well, what does that matter, right? Like, it, it's real. Yep. So we got another question for you here. We're almost done here. Provided us with so much. Again, what I'd like to do with this series is because we're going to have Stones back on. He was the, the guest in the wall two episode stone's going to come back on he's going to have a similar set of questions and engage with their own experience from there so of course as being scientific socialists we're trying to recreate these experiments and the experiments being these questions and the results are going to be the answers in which we, we get off a guest so if you know, all of this is validated. If all of our disabled people are answering similar questions in the same way, it just shows that it is the goddamn truth. You know what I mean? Somebody fucking can't deny that shit. Emily, we can wrap up here. 
I'm sweating off this. It's been a hell of a goddamn experience. Yeah, undoubtedly, we're going to continue to sh- to support you on this show and platform you whenever. Um, it would be good to actually speak to you more about Africa, I think. Have you got anything else you'd like to add or discuss or even ask us before we move on to the plugs? Yeah, I mean, you know, we had that discussion actually, like before coming on there about me actually struggling to not be objective but not be so emotional that overwhelms me and basically sob um and 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 that because i've actually um i've actually come close talking about this like you know in lectures of 10 and and um actually recently in in march i, I did another lecture about disability rights and politics and everything to another group and we were rehearsing it and rehearsing it with my friend olivia and i just broke down crying because it's just you get to the point where these are not statistics, these are people with lives and dreams and hopes and they were denied humanity, they were denied a chance, they were denied to live a full life on their terms, not our terms, their terms, their norms and their like their life choices. I'm also fighting so that I don't die. And I feel that I realised last weekend actually, who's gonna speak up to me? if I die by the state. There's this, I call it political jealousy. When George Floyd died, there was uprisings. And I remember Kanye West, I think it was like Democracy Now or some something like that. He's a big black intellectual thinker. I think Vine knows who he is. I don't know if you know who he is, should be. He was like, oh, imagine that he died and nobody cared and nobody came out. And something about the phraseology, about, you know, aren't we lucky that people came out and care enough? And all of a sudden, like, the recent bullshit of my friends with COVID-19 last summer and austerity and the past couple of years of hitting our heads against a brick wall against the state up here in Scotland and all the rest of it, you know, deaths of people I know personally going unnoticed and, and the rhetoric, I just sobbed and screamed at the screen going, that's what I've got to deal with. That's what every disabled person in the Imperial Corps has to deal with, we die and nobody comes and sees us, nobody comes and makes a vigil for us apart from our own people like, nobody marches in the street at at anger or disabled people dying by COVID-19 like I discussed today in this podcast or murdered by their family or what have you, or abused and neglected and then it happened again a couple of weeks ago with that woman, Sarah something, Um, she getting murdered in Chapham and the vigil and the outrage up and down the country. And then it hit me again. If I were to die by the state, only my family and comrades I know in person would be outraged. Bobby and all statistic. It hit me this epiphany. I was sobbing on Friday night of like going, oh my God, my people are so alienated. We are so hyper segregated. We're so pushed to the margins of society that people are not emotionally roused at my death as an injustice. That's where we're at. And that's where the anger, some of the anger and the frustration and the pain, I think, is kind of leaking into part of this podcast, where that realisation that I'm guilt-tripping people because, like, you are allowing that social and political environment to persist where I'm expect you know, even in environmental movement, I had to leave it because I did a whole lecture about it of us being seen as, you know, expected losses of a climate ecological collapse, eco-fash bullshit. And, and, I, and I feel that now during COVID-19, 
you know, better us than them. It's to the point where I'm like, I want to grab people and force open their eyeballs and watch videos and fucking images and shit of autistic people getting abused and ass getting abused and all the horrors and say, look, look, don't turn away. Don't close your eyes. Look, these are my people and you've done nothing. You've done nothing for my people apart from pity parties or giving to charity and thinking that'll be enough. And that's why I get angry. That's why I get upset to the point of sobbing. I sob at night thinking I need to make the political consciousness, put a bit class consciousness, I want to say human consciousness, consciousness of humanity. And the very fact that a section of humanity can be so alienated that people don't bat an eye at almost 100,000 deaths of my people and not see it as a genocide, not see it as literally the UN definition of genocide or see it as social murder like you talked about Ryan as well and touched upon and thinking I need to do something about this I need to organize I need to get people around me that are inspired by me and moved by me by my heart and my soul and none of this rhetoric shit none of this playing it by numbers none of this I'm gonna do a speech but really it's just me you know rubbing my own fucking ego and I think people don't quite get it that I've been screaming into the void and and begging fucking when you're talking to fucking ministers and begging groups to please talk about disability of people, people extinction rebellion for basic accessibility issues and covered up and in hate crime and I've got a whole talk about that you can link or again traumatized by that and getting traumatized by the silence of you know and it's a send a signal to me you're not worth our time. Your life, your your beauty, your amazing personality, everything you are, and other people I know personally, and 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 and, and people I know are very good friends in disabled charity and with disabled groups, but their lives don't matter. And people go, Emily, don't get upset, and you know, like you know, you need to be nice and calm, and you know, overreacting. It's like, well, we expect me to react when I'm dealing with this sort of alienation and being pushed out and on the fringes of society because of my threats and hate crimes and just general life is hard and then I get into a political group and it's like oh we don't think that's relevant to my face or we just deal with racism here and then I talk about sexism and then other isms and I'm like well wait, wait a fucking minute here or they say Emma you're doing what about ism it's like yeah I'm saying what about my people are literally the most oppressed group statistically in terms of death in terms of lack of health care extreme poverty for example in scotland half of all people in extreme poverty have a disabled person in their household half not a third not a quarter not a fifth a half and yet people here won't hear it and i'm like that silence is killing us that silence is making us suffer that silence is betrayal and is complicity you know, and also I want to very quickly kind of say to kind of round off because um we've talked about out there, we've talked about, you know, out there in the wider world and out there, but it's very difficult to talk about own experiences because I, I, I'm so extremely traumatised and um so it's easy talking about, you know, this thing and this political theory and that. It, and people talk about, you know, I, I've, I've been seen as appropriating black struggle before I discovered my history of, of my people and I say my people I've been all disabled people all people that experience disablement just like all people that, that, that experience racism or sexism as a social and political class etc that Fred Hampton Malcolm X Stu Carmichael all the people from the Black Panthers and other radical black groups they, they were the only people that had a similar language of oppression and death until I found my own 
And I think there's a problem where disabled people are cut off even from their own history. We talked about a wee bit today, their own culture and shamed about themselves. And I remember crying when I first heard, ironically, it was actually like a couple of months after getting autism diagnosis, or I found it on YouTube, of Malcolm X's speech talking about who taught you to hate yourself. And obviously it was in a racial context, but so much of it resonated with me as a neurodiverse slash disabled person. I feel that there's a problem where we, I also need to reach out to other disabled people to radicalize them, to have their political consciousness, just like we reach out to working class people and have like class consciousness. And so this is unacceptable. You don't have to accept the death and the suffering and everything else. I see this not out of ego and, and, and being on this podcast, not out of ego, but out of horror. I've, I've got nightmares of, you know, waking up and I'll be forced into death camps or concentration camps. What do you think, you know, care homes are? What do you think, you know, care in a community bullshit is? It's taking people like me out of the community for my quote-unquote own good into a camp. It's the first stage of disabled concentration camps. People don't see that. Oh, yeah, confident women and you're disabled. It's like, yeah, but I've got I've got nightmares because I'm actually, my family's a survivor of the Holocaust. Like, I've actually got family that, that I had my grandpa before he died in November. He, his whole family, his whole side of the family survived the Holocaust. And I thought, oh my God, my people are having their own Holocaust again in Europe and in the UK. Are going to go down fighting? If I'm going to die by these bastards, I want to go down fighting. I don't want to go down like a whimper. I don't want to go down like a coward. There's too many communists that are. I call them revolution romanticists. They romanticise the revolution. They're like, yeah, you want to romanticise the revolution? Yeah, I'm up against the wall. My people are fucking dying. We're getting genocided. We're getting killed. They're fighting centre. We're like a corner panther ready to strike. You're just cowards. We're ready to die fighting for my my right to live. And I just want to kind of say that if any disabled people that are listening or people that not, may not think they're disabled because barely even like 40% of people identify as disabled out of shame and guilt. No, you are disabled. You've got disablement. If you've got issues of you talked about here or, or discrimination or made fun of for some bodily or mind difference or neurodiversions, you are disabled. And I say, look, you're heard. There's people out here like myself that are fighting for you. And I know that you might not be in a position to fight and come with us, but I, I hope that in your heart, you actually, it gives you warmth and able to sleep at night, that there's people that are willing to fight and even die, even if need be, for this cause so that you can be free of the pain and the fear and everything. And that's what makes me upset of these fucking communists and socialists and YouTubers and all the rest of it is that they don't get the power dynamics, they don't get anything. And I'm just going to say that I get so angry and so upset and it makes me think, all right, okay, so you talk about race and class and gender, but you're not talking about this because of social capital, your brand will go down. The SSP, the Scottish Socialist Party, said to me in an interview a couple of years, a couple of months ago, a week ago, sorry, and I'm going to say this because I'm at the point like, fuck it. We can't deal with disabled issues because we're not a big enough party. It was an hour fucking talk with two major two major people, including Richie Venson, who anyone that knows, you know, in Scotland, you know who he is. And getting betrayed by people that supposedly have my back and other groups as well. And I just raged at that point. Wow, you're not a big enough party to deal with disabled issues. Like, fuck off. Like, we're dying in all the horrors we have today. We went over, you know, this evening in this podcast. 
are you not willing to stand for us? Like an actual new Holocaust, which I don't have any better word to say than Holocaust. And that hurt me. And that's why I've got my rage. That's why I've got such a high standard. And I, and I hope people can see the integrity in a high in, in a high principled social communist that I am and go, right, she's so principled. She's, she's and, and getting upset and generally upset, not crocodile tears about this shit. And I just wanted to make that clear. And I know that's quite a lot and it's going to be a long podcast, but I felt that I had to say this at the end because was scuttered about my own feelings, was scuttered about my own experiences a little bit, like we've, we've touched on it, but that's why I do what I do, you know? I want my friends, uh, people that are scared or not as articulate or not have the gift of me being, of me being art- hyper-verbal autistic and absorbing all the inf- and absorbing information I do to fight, to do talks, to do speeches, to basically get, get, a, get my size 10 boot up their arse. Do you know, and they call us unempathetic. We talk about autism awareness, man. They call us un- un- unempathetic and uncaring when in society we allow this kind of thing or homelessness or what have you, Ryan. You know what you talked about earlier. They just normalise it, that suffering. And they call us unempathetic, like these neurotypicals, you know, these non-autistics and non-neurodivergent people. And I just wanted to make that clear, understood to anyone listening. And I hope that's inspired people to kind of reach out an emotional and deep human level. I'm the hardcore of the hardcore. I've been in this, and everything I said here is truth. And I'm willing to kind of fight with you if you say, "I see you, Emily. Let's fucking do this." Like a couple of people are starting to do, and I'm gonna rile them. And I know you and Ryan and everyone on this podcast and in other places and, and, and other comrades in the server and and everything else are gonna be behind me. I just wanna leave it. I just wanna say in my closing statements on this particular thing that I don't want a revolution if it excludes my people. If the utopian idea of communism is that I don't exist, I don't want any part of it. And if you want to entrench that, if you want to embolden that, if you want to put that forward, fuck off, then you're my oppressor, you're my enemy, and I'm going to fight as much as any capitalist or liberal or fascist because you want to race me and people like me in the future. The wonderful beautiful spectrum of humanity hell yeah yeah totally solidarity sister forever you know that what i would suggest that we do before i go on to my thoughts is i'd like to follow up on at least every six months to every year and then we can analyze the history and see if it's moving forward or seeing whether it's regressing and we can also do comparisons as to what we thought last year has the movement took these lessons on board or if these simply just like i say are we are we regressing further so let's do this again in six months to a year and we can analyze the the left then and marxists going forwards whilst we actually continue to press on this progress within marxism which not many motherfucking other people are doing besides disabled people like you said i i, I saw this this fury within himself this disgust and disappointment and just heartbreak where he said it's funny that whenever i do these posts about you know disabled people oppression genocide it's only ever the disabled marxist and and then uh, people who even like or share the tweets so he himself despite his platform despite having you know so much more, more followers than than us and so many people who engage in all his tweets within seconds you know, it's only really the oppressed, disabled people who care about spreading the message on on oppressed and disabled people out there. So 
it's not just us, but it is us who's, who's willing to risk our platforms so that we can fucking agitate people enough to fucking do something about it and start these discussions, which we'll return to. Yeah, I was going to comment on that very quickly. Um, that kind of cold shoulder indifference actually made me kind of want to leave politics completely, totally abdicate any effort into anything political ever again, like on the left or anything, like just totally go fuck it, kind of green activism or that is it, like draw a line under it and go, you know what, fuck them, that level of pain and trauma. And I think you just summed it up really well and people don't understand that of losing someone like me because they just don't care, you know about me as a person or I, or even having accessibility crap or, you know, actors with activist stuff and accommodations, even in their movements. So it becomes, why should I care about your fucking revolution if you're going to treat me like shit? I just wanted to add that, you know? I felt that, you know, on and off for fucking time. Um, it's only with the support from people reaching out through this project, etc. And showing that the, it actually fucking matters to a lot of people where, you know, I felt it was justified because you, you touched upon... You're crying, you're suffering, your nightmares. And that's the thing. Like, you're doing this out of genuine, like, I mean, it got to a point with me as well where, like, you're just in such a shit position. You've been forced into fucking shitty situations just to fucking try and get by or anything like that. And it's like you've suffered so much because of the consequences of those decisions or whether it's just the, the consequences of, of, of your physical disabilities, in your case, that we as Marxists and as progressives, we have to turn our pain into suffering. We have to turn these life lessons into something progressive so that other people can learn from it. Otherwise, we, what was the point in a pain? We have to turn our pain into power. And that's really the thing about it is a lot of the Marxists out there have never had the pain. They've had so many creature comforts all the goddamn life. And they've had like a close-knit family that, you know, share the thoughts with them. And they've they've had all of this like support um, nearby and supporting each other as fucking wage slaves or as fucking consumers. And we're out here alienated as motherfuckers. Our society from fucking organisations, despite living precarious fucking existences. So I completely have got that point where it's like, Why? Why would I even help them? These motherfuckers are fools. I mean, these people have literally taken leave of the senses and talking emotions and, and just seeing and hearing and everything. These are the ones, as you were getting at, was, these are like the most able people, yet these are the ones who, who seem to be blind, who seem to be deaf, who seem to be unable to communicate, and the ones who are uncaring as the stereotype towards autistic people is. So that's really a contradiction that they need to look at within themselves because, as we know, we have to eliminate all contradictions to get to communism, and at the moment, they're the only thing standing in our way for progress, for love, for unity, for solidarity, and for peace and progress. So I think we could sum it up there. Ryan, have you got any thoughts, mate? I mean, I was just going to say on that last point, right, but that brings us full circle to they don't understand it because they haven't experienced it, right? That's what we try and do here. <laughs> so we go to separate schools, we go to sometimes even separate workplaces, separate parts of a hospital. The only time we actually might see somebody is on a bus. And therefore, it's actually the worst type of apartheid, which is total two-tier system, two different parallel societies on top of each other. The other group where I say, well, actually, Disney Bill shouldn't be segregated from schools or work, they defend it 
and I turn around and go, well, hold on, if I was talking about a black child that had behaviour issues, you would find it really disgusting of having, you know, separate but equal for a black child. There's this, you know, you get the capitalist apologists, these are disabled apologists, and justify the treatment of disabled people, and I see it a lot on the left, and a lot of, like, and, and socialists and communists, and I just want to kind of say that those are the kind of people that I had to restrain myself from actually physically attacking, like, there. It's that kind of feeling I get where I'm like, you're defending my quote-unquote right to be oppressed. People don't see it. And I kept on saying to Inglis and a couple of other people, it's like, you know, you don't understand marginalisation, how you deal with disabled people. And I didn't touch it because they don't want to touch it. They've got that, they're the 74% or whatever, are uncomfortable with the point of, of actual physically and emotionally avoiding disabled people. I'm at the point where I'm like, okay then, <laughs> and I don't care. That's very difficult, and I just want to say at the end of the podcast, I always ask people, why don't you care about disabled people? Why don't you care about me? It's all, that's unreasonable. And if it's a full circle, so well, why is it unreasonable? Why is my suffering unreasonable to talk about, but not black people, or LGBT people, or women, or people in working class? Why am I the only group that's actually offensive? Yeah, that's right. See, it's offensive to compare to other groups, but someone can compare being black to being gay, or being black to being a woman or some other shit, other mental contortions. And I also want to thank you and Ryan for having me on and platforming me and these ideas and perspectives and a lot of people wouldn't really think about or know or understand. And I just want to say that, and, and having holding space for the pain, the, the heart and the trauma of that happening to me, I've been pushed out of political organisations and have to find real comrades and real people that would accept and listen and actually being kind of socially and politically silenced. I just want to say that quickly, you know, as we end the podcast, like I want to make that clear that everyone would give me the chances that you're giving me right now. Oh, the, the pleasure is truly ours. Indeed. Where can people find you, Comrade Emily? Where yeah. can they support you, your work? And do you have any plugs for our yeah. listeners to check out, which we can include in the show notes? Yeah, I'm only just starting to put my infrastructure up. It's not like I'm a, a Twitter or Facebook or whatever veteran. Um, um, but my the handle will be down in the description, as always, Shibby, as you do a great job of that. It will be The Less Exploitables um, on Twitter and also on YouTube. The YouTube is a bit barren, but I'm planning to have a space of comrades up here in Scotland Um that are disabled, that are marginalised, my speeches, if I can get the, state, the raw files for that at some point as well, uh, among other things. And uh, there's a little bit of a, explain why, maybe why Twitter and YouTube are called The Less Exploitables. Is that okay with you? Yeah, it makes sense, The Less Exploitables. We will continue, obviously, to, to platform you, and, and we'll share it all down the show notes. We really do hope that people actually take on board everything that you're saying in terms of reaching out, giving you support. It does mean the world. Hopefully people are going to fucking listen to this shit and hopefully next time we speak or people hear your voice on this podcast, it's going to be a lot more enthusiastic in terms of the progress of this movement. But it takes our listeners now to continue to get involved and support and simply just reaching out is is one way to do that and and sharing and liking all of those things are important when scumbags have social capital and opportunists have social capital but progressives real revolutionaries don't so with that said we will look forward to getting you back at least within like six months as like a situation report 
on the struggle and the battle that we're engaged in in this class war. And we'll also, again, for everybody else, continue to platform disabled comrades. Very soon we'll have Disability and Marxism 3, again, where we can do like a, a scientific experiment on with the questions and the answers from a comrade in that. But if you want to support us in Revolutionary Lump and Radio, go to our Patreon immediately, patreon.com slash podcast. Definitely check out that link. It's in the show notes. Supporters, we're going to be doing Save the People programs. You're going to see people getting fed. So nobody can be coming up saying we're not Vanguard because we're doing the shit that all of them have been saying is like practice for years. So if I don't have a revolution in my estate, then I can just say, well, look, that, that fucking that practice is no good. But hopefully we can build an organization in my community and you'll see the post followed up on patreon.com slash lumpen podcast. Follow us on Twitter at lumpen underscore radio. Check out Ryan's YouTube, the Zen Marxist on YouTube. Just made over a thousand subs. Congrats. Shout out Late Stage Imperialism. We'll be streaming a lot of episodes in the future. Thanks for all of those in the chat now who have been chatting away. And to all those trolls in the comments, fuck you. Your comments have been deleted. You're nothing to me. You've been exterminated from the face of reality. And I forgot everything you said. So with that said... Thank you so much, Emily, for sharing your heart, your fucking feelings, your emotions with us, um, rather than just shit that you've read on some book somewhere and you're just sharing for clout. Thank you so much. Um, we really hope that it hits home for people. So it really just summarises everything that we're about here on Revolutionary Lump and Radio. What we want, as you know, workers and lumpen of the world. Sing it, y'all. Wanna be the only one that makes you come. Wanna be your.